Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hello, world. I thought we'd throw everybody into the one this time around. Don't want to miss anybody out this morning. Hope it doesn't rain. I really hope it doesn't. I I sat there. The back of the taxi this morning was most bizarre because he obviously had a bottle of water in there, which was half full, because this thing was throwing it... I thought there was somebody in the back of the car behind me, throwing the water around. Because literally, every time we moved, this thing went slurp, and then threw itself against the side of the car. It went for the whole journey. He was either deaf... He was certainly one of these odd drivers. I get some very odd drivers at the moment. I don't know where they're coming from, seriously. Uh, Anyway, beating... That's apparently what you do when you're drunk. Horrendous story. Uh, the odds are slashed on David Beckham being the next England manager. What, in between modelling underpants and drinking whiskey? I don't think so. And Judy Murray hands out coffee. But was she paid for it? Is she endorsing just about everything she can get her grubby little hands on? Getting a bit desperate, the papers say. Uh, who turned up to the Ab Fab premiere? Everybody. Everybody turned up. They were all out there. I wasn't. I was a bit busy and couldn't make it. Uh, the loser who won the heart of the centre court, but I said yesterday, listen, they arrived from nowhere, he'll disappear, and he's disappeared already. He was ranked 722nd, and he got lucky, and, uh, you know, had a ball over the net, and then back the other side, had a ball over the net, back the other side, and everybody goes, he's fantastic, and look at his girlfriend. Woo, she's hot, isn't she? And so we had loads of pictures of that, because she's a dentist, so it's, you know, mouth open wide, and she's blonde this week. It could be any other colour the rest of the, the rest of the year. And and, uh, and then he disappeared. But he's already got his fans and already the, the, the papers are now going, OK, thanks, bye. That was it. Uh, Daniela Westbrook does an obscene act in the back of a taxi, according to the driver. And uh, her, her, her people say, no, she couldn't. I'm beginning to wonder why they didn't ask her. And then I thought of the obvious reason why, of course, she couldn't speak. Uh, the fattest kid at uh, 10 years old... If you jump ahead of me on this programme, seriously, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. There's no point in sort of trying to sort of find out, you know, can't do it. Uh, fattest kid at 10 years old, 30 stone. That's a lot of Kentucky. That is a lot of Kentucky. At 30 stone, it really is. And uh, Eric Bristow. Now, you remember Eric Bristow plays darts, stands there, throw, you know, very lovely, very exciting, very dreary. And, um, and Anton Deck wanted him to appear on their show the Saturday night takeaway, I think it was, and they offered a 100 quid fee, and he said, don't insult me. The BBC have just asked him to do uh, one of their sport programmes, coming on as sort of, or trying to be worked out who it is and all the rest of it, and they were offering £250, and he said, do not insult me. Do not insult me. I'm not, I don't, I don't get out of bed for that kind of money, which I think is, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm kind of with him, because I reckon he's worth a bit more money than that. But it's £250. You know, some people work a whole week. All he's got to do is turn up. They'll send a car for him. He'll do his, he'll do his appearance, which takes, I don't know, an hour. Then he'll get back in the car and go home. In the meantime, he'll have probably had some sandwiches and some coffee for 250 quid. I knew somebody who was, um, who was asked to do um, a corporate. Now, corporate is where lots of big companies used to use all the hotels in London... And uh, all the company get together and they have a big star to entertain. Or sometimes it's, it's not a big star. It's just somebody who's sort of well-known. And this particular person I knew. And an agent said to me, said, listen, can you have a word with X? And I said, why? He said, because there's a, there's a company who want to book X for their corporate dinner. And I said, OK. I said, how much are they offering? He said, they're offering for an hour, for an hour, £15,000. And I said, right... And I said, and what has X said? And they said, well, X has said no. And they said, could I have a a gentle push in that department? And I said, well, I'll have a word. I'll have a word. And so I had a word with X. 
And X said, I'm not doing it for £15,000. In the end, X got the money up for this one-hour corporate gig. All they had to do was come on stage, do a little bit of banter, blah, 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 nothing. You know, that's, Comedians make a fortune at doing this. 25,000 quid for an hour. For one hour's work, £25,000. And that's why most of the London hotels are booked out with, with corporate. And the comedians, you know, the Jimmy Carr... Jimmy Carr would get for at least 15000 for an hour's work. At least. I was going to tell the... Because uh, he's back again. The, uh, the, uh, the producer from overseas that uh, we were used the other day on another radio station. Did I tell you? No. Our little friend over there, Chris... He said to me, I was, I was just going out, and he, come, 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 come. he does like, come, 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 like that, which I think means come here, I want to talk to you. And, uh, and he said, we were laughing the other day, he said, when you were talking to your producer about the food that he eats and the food he doesn't eat. And he said, but of course, all we hear is, is Steve Allen. We don't hear the, the producer. So he substituted your voice. <laughs> they ran about, it's about a five to eight minute section of the programme where I'm saying, so do you like, I think I'm, just hypothetically, do you like fish fingers? What comes back is... It's, he's put R2-D2 all the way through this conversation. So I'm having a conversation with R2-D2. It was quite funny, actually. It was quite funny. Certainly, certainly funnier than your voice, let's put it that way. <laughs> Came without the accent. But it was. He, he made this... They've done it two days running. I didn't realise that people lifted bits of this programme. I'm a bit miffed by that. We don't get any extra money, do we, if we're lifted? Well, you don't get anything anyway, but I mean, you know, it's my, my worst say. Well, you, you're not even experienced. You might be work, but you're not experienced. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see your CV. I want to see what a fantastic work of fiction this must be. Did you work at other radio stations before you came here? Yeah. Which ones? <laughs> we'll have those checked out. We'll get, get the blooming managing directors on the phone straight away. So what did he do? Oh, well, he came in and asked for a photograph of one of the presenters and, uh, and he used to hang around to sort of talk to people after their shows. Oh, right, OK. Stalker. <laughs> that'll be on the programme. You watch, that'll be lifted. <laughs> it was so funny when I heard it. I was kind of flattered, but at the same time slightly annoyed. But anyway, uh, so what else we got? Oh, Elvis's first guitarist died. That was the other day. Uh, that was Scotty. And also a fantastic picture in the paper today of two people both going for the same parking space and nobody is budging. Nobody is budging on it. And so the police get called. You've ever seen people fighting for a parking space. It reminds me of the of the woman trying desperately to park over the road from Harrods. Literally, she was backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And in the end, a bloke in a smart car went and parked in the space. And she gets out the car and she goes... I was I was parking in there. And he said, well, he said, um, that's what really good driving can do. That's why I got it. So she goes, OK. So she gets in her car. She reverses, goes forward a bit. Then she reverses and smashes straight into the front of his car. She winds down the window and she goes, and that's what you can do when you're really rich. <laughs> I don't think it's a real story. I just think it's quite a nice story. Uh, five years for the Rita Raid. Another sad person who uh, goes to prison, another a drug addict. Uh, Judy Murray, uh, she's been pilloried by one of the papers today. She's quite clearly grabbing as many money opportunities as she can. Prince Harry does another really, really strenuous day's work, which is where he gets up on stage with Coldplay. He's beginning to look like nerdy uncle at the moment. And 
Apparently, um, what was that? Oh, Murdoch is thinking of buying Sky. Rupert Murdoch thinking of buying Sky. Because we think he's got a 40% stake. I think he's got a 40% stake. So he might want to, uh, to spend and get the other. Uh, also, Coronation Street goes six days a week. Six days a week. Apparently, they've been saying for ages that's what they wanted to do because they reckon it, it's got the capacity to actually uh, pull in an audience six days a week. Uh, they've got a big set at the moment, covers four acres, because it's, uh, you know, it's an industry, isn't it? Uh, Top Gear's been cancelled from one station in America. That's the old Top Gear. They might have a look at the new one and decide whether or not they want to, uh, to say it uh, and to keep it. Uh, Steve, I have heard on the LBC News the markets had recovered, the billions lost initially. Yeah, we're not out of the, uh, not out of the woods yet. Not by a long chalk, not by a long chalk. There are pictures in the paper today which are very sad. They're, they're sad pictures because it's uh, the boys. On the eve of the Somme, pictures were taken. They obviously had official photographers who went round and took as many pictures of boys posing and the guys posing. And then, once they found out what happened to them, they put a, a slogan above them, either injured, killed, don't know... There's all sorts of, of things like that. And it's very sad because these, these faces come alive. And through the, through the pages of the newspapers, you can look at them. They might be relatives of yours. 1916, July the 1st. Uh, seven in the morning, writes uh, Mick here. 17-year-old Jimmy Dorning stands in the trench. His thoughts are of home, his mum and his pet dog. He hears a whistle. The captain shouts, come on, lads, up and over. At that moment, Jimmy's mum sits up in bed and thinks of her son. Jimmy's... In no man's land, I'm afraid he's dead. Because you can see, even on the footage, even on the uh, the cranky uh, film cameras that were filming it, they literally went over the top and, uh, and they were mown down. On day one, on the first day of the Somme, 19,240 of our boys were mown down. They were killed on the first day. That was just alone. I mean, the, the tally over the years, what does it solve? I don't know. Do they have memories? Yes. Do their ghosts still haunt the uh, the killing fields? Yes, they do. Are they there? No, they're in everybody's hearts. In all, 481,842 British soldiers were killed at the Somme. Half a million, half a million. Some of whom were underage. They tried to, uh, tried to weed them out. People were so keen to sign up. There were some underage people. Also, we had a history in those days of shooting deserters. They were shot at dawn. They were shot at dawn. And the reason that they did it... It's over four and a half months, incidentally, half a million. Four and a half months in the most atrocious conditions with, you know, it was cold, it was wet, it was miserable. They were drinking a lot. And when they were told to go over the top, some of them didn't want to go over the top. And they were court-martialed. And some people deserted. Some people couldn't stand it. The constant noise, the guns... You know, seeing your friends moan down in front of you, it affected some of them very, very badly. And so they deserted. They went AWOL. But they were caught and they were brought back and they were shot. And the reason they were shot is because the army were terrified that there would be an epidemic of other people leaving. They thought if they shot people, if we shot our own boys, that would stop people leaving. Nobody knew about shell shock. Nobody knew about the effects of war. Nobody knew about the way that their young minds were affected by what they'd seen. I don't know how many of you have ever seen dead bodies. Probably not many of you. Probably not many of you. You haven't seen something like that. Somebody who you were talking to not two minutes before who was just mown down in front of you. I get quite emotional, especially at the, uh, on the Remembrance Sunday and the Festival of Remembrance at the Royal Albert Hall. When those poppies come down, you can hear a pin drop in that place. A pin drop. 
you know, and we should remember those from both sides. They didn't have any choice. They signed up, and they signed up to, uh, it was either sink or swim, and uh, many of them sunk, I'm afraid. So, you know, it was it was just sad. 236,000 German troops also died at the same time, and that's why we remember them when we go around the world, and that's why I was so bloody annoyed the other day when the England team were offered the chance to go and see the memorial to 72,000, and somebody in that team, and I'd love to find out who it is, said, uh, oh, no, no, we, we, we don't want to sort of put anything on them. They were literally down the road to go and celebrate the war dead, and they couldn't even be bloody bothered to do that. And that's what's so annoying about it. And then they come back, and then you get a headline on the front of the sun this morning. Uh, this is uh, flop Raheem Sterling faced fury after he, he steps off the plane, and then he posts pictures of his blinging house. I'm blinging as in the problem. I'm not sort of substituting a word, incidentally. He uh, highlighted a crystal-encrusted bathroom sink. I mean, the stuff he's put on here. I mean, what a disgusting piece of filth he is. Uh, so he arrives back. He shows the silvery toilet and the matching, matching bidet, the crystal-encrusted bathroom, his bling-filled uh, car garage with two Range Rovers and a Ferrari, the cinema room, the fleet of supercars as well, uh, captioned, My Team Winning. A blinking disgrace, an overpaid flop. Really. Boo! Boo you! Boo you. The sun has approached him for, for comment so far. Diddly squat, as you can well imagine. What a horrible piece of work, honestly. What a waste of space. What a waste of space. Um, what else do we have with the paper? Well, I mean, I'm not sure about the Daniela Westbrook story. I always thought she was a bit cheap and tarty, and she's got this sort of this child of a boyfriend. She's 42. And her little boyfriend is called George Arnold. I'm sure his parents must be delighted that he's having sex with an old woman like that. He's 24, she's 42. And according to a driver, a chauffeur-driven car, um, um, she performed an act on her boyfriend. Perhaps he's got a few screw looses, uh, screws loose as well. Um, and the driver said, listen, stop that. Stop that, uh, or I'm going to throw you out the car. Um... Since then, of course, it's all gone on. A spokesman for the car company said, we have a strict confidentiality agreement for our customers. Daniela's agent said, there's no... She has an agent! How hilarious! Good Lord. <laughs> Can't be much work going on there or commission coming in. Daniela's agent said, there's no proof in this story whatsoever. Well, you know, why would somebody want to make up something like that? It's so farcical. Why would you want to make it up? Why would you want to make it up? At, uh, apparently, everybody at Simpsons, which is the car company, I've never even heard of them, were completely stunned... Gillian Tailforth lost a libel case against the son after they reported she was seen by uh, a policeman performing a sex act on her fiancé in a lay-by. And uh, it kind of, you know, people talked about that for ages and ages. Bosses at uh, Channel 5 paid for the trip. She was appearing on Big Brother's Bit on the Side. God, what a horrible person. What a horrible person. If it's true, it really is dreadful, isn't it? That's just, it's just really, I don't know. So, sort of act of somebody who's not really in the real world. Not really in the real world. Uh, Dom and Dom says, why don't you leave a spare umbrella at the studio? Because it's going to rain today. Because I think somebody would pinch it. If I left an umbrella here, I don't have anywhere safe to leave an umbrella. And I say safe. I mean, if you just leave one, unless you've got a big label on it going, this is the property of Steve Allen. I mean, anybody's going to pick it up if it's absolutely tipping down outside. Uh, I'm going to run through the medicines in a moment. Because we talked about uh, you, as shoppers, and me, paying Eight times the price for branded goods as opposed to what you can get over the counter. OK, so we'll tell you about those in a minute. If we can save you a penny or two, I'm all in favour of it. It's 19... Good God, 19 past four. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. 
I've got a present for Lisa Aziz this morning. She's going to be very excited. She knows what it is because we mentioned it yesterday. Uh, anyway, so um, what am I going to say? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, the price is comparing on the medicines or medicines. Uh, so, example, if you buy uh, from Asda Nurofen, 16 Nurofen is about 198. I'm giving you approximate prices here. OK, uh, which is, you know, that's, people probably think that's about right. However, if you buy 16 ibuprofen tablets at Asda as well, it's 25 pence, which means you save 87 percent. I mean, you'd have to be mad, wouldn't you, to kind of pass up on that one. So remember, it's the branding that costs the money. Uh, if you buy anodine paracetamol at Savers, 16 tablets is a pound. If you buy 16 paracetamol at Asda, it's 19 pence. You'd be mad to want to pay 81% on top of that, wouldn't you? Uh, here, Nurofen Joint and Back Pain Gel at Sainsbury's, £6. £6. Uh, ibuprofen Gel, same thing, 35 grams, same size, at Home Bargains, which I'm not aware of, 99 pence. You're saving quite a bit. Uh, another one here, uh, Pyrites. This is presumably for people who uh, suffer from hay fever. Four pounds for 30 tablets at Asda. Pound stretcher, the equivalent tablet, 149. Sudafed, blocked nose capsules, £2.39 at Lloyd's. Maximum strength congestion relief at Sainsbury's, 60 pence. You'd be mad to buy branded stuff. Is it because people don't know that, you know, ibuprofen covers loads of things? So, in other words, if you're going out to buy Nurofen today, it's ibuprofen. And all you have to do is go and buy some ibuprofen tablets from Asda. You get 16, exactly the same as the Nurofen, for 25 pence. Why would you, why would you want to spend any more money? I don't understand why you'd want to spend more money buying tablets. Uh, Nurofen Kids... Uh, I don't know what that is. It could be for any one of a number of things. It's £3.15, whatever it is. If you go to uh, Savers, it's 95 pence. You know, they're their own branding. Uh, here we go. This is another one. Vix Sinex Micromist. 15, millimeter, 15 millilitres is three quid at Asda. Also at Asda and Tesco, nasal decongestant spray, 15 millilitres, pound. Why would you want to spend an, an extra two pounds? I mean, come on. Let's all be with it on this one, shall we? I mean, that's, all you've got to do is look around. Imodium Original, £2.19 for six tablets. Six at home bargains, 59 pence. Take our own brands. You know, ibuprofen tablets. Why would you want to spend two quid when you get exactly the same thing for 25 pence? It just doesn't have a fancy box. Is it the boxes that we like? Perhaps we like buying, we like buying boxes. I don't know. <laughs> I've got no idea. I just don't know. And, um... One here says, tonight I reached the front after waiting ages. Still not a celeb in sight, but I did see Rylan. I don't know. I thought you said there were no celebrities in sight. Oh, sorry, there were no celebrities in sight. So Rylan was there, apparently. Doing what? I can't imagine. I'm bored with him already. Really, really bored with him already. But that's just me being me. I mean, uh, luckily we are in a free country and we're allowed to, we're allowed to talk about these things. Because Rylan, Rylan Clark Neal, has criticised both sides of the EU referendum argument for making a circus out of their campaigns. Because that's who you think of asking, isn't it, when you're doing a serious programme. You think, oh, we must phone Ryland. Phone Ryland. Get him on the phone. See what he thinks about it. He told the Press Association, when it comes down to this referendum, I do feel it's been made a complete circus of. I interviewed Boris Johnson on this morning with Holly. 
Yes, I suspect mainly Holly did the talking. Uh, there was one question I asked that got so much reaction. The question was, who's lying? God, he's hitting the nail on the head. He's, he's going for the jugular. He is so good. Shame his chat show was such crap. The London-born presenter and his husband... He's, he's 27. Let's see how long that one lasts. We're the first gay couple to present ITV's flagship daytime show on July the 8th. Clark Neal, the face of uh, Big Brother's Channel 5 sister show, Big Brother's Bit on the Side, has added another string to his bow by writing his autobiography. Wow! That is amazing! Writing his autobiography. He says, towards the end of last year, I was approached, and I still didn't want to do it, but then I realised I'd done quite a lot. In the last four years. I mean, nice to document it. I know, so his autobiography covers four years. That's, that's about all it is. And uh, he was set up with a ghostwriter, but uh, he did write The Life of Rylan himself. He said, there's been nobody involved in that book other than me. The layout, the photos, the way I've headed the chapter titles, everything. Like, you know, the day I failed on The X Factor. The day I sort of failed in just about everything. But uh, he says, I've been a million percent honest. I mean, darling. So sweet of you to make a contribution, but who's going to be interested? I mean, I'm expecting to see the book uh, remaindered any time soon. His mum's read it, so that's good. Uh, Dan hasn't read it, that's the other half, because we've both been really busy. I know, it's awful when you just don't have a minute to breathe, isn't it? And you can't do anything, you're just so busy. Can you not? Perhaps he can't read, I don't know. Anyway, he's, he's had his mum on the phone six or seven times. That must be a bit wearing. Crying with laughter and crying with sadness. I know, I cry with sadness most of the time. But uh, he said, I've got, uh, you know, all sorts of things. It's out, published by Century, The Life of Ryland by Ryland Clark Neal. Oh, so sweet, isn't it, really? So nice to be so deluded so early in a career. But anyway, if indeed we call it a career. But that's sweet. But he, he was there last night, and that's apparently all Jenny got in Leicester Square. But there were people holding up banners, actually. You know, never gonna give EU up. These were, the, these were people queuing for, for the AbFab world premiere and they're holding banners up. As good as Roy Hodgson's exit plan, we love EU. And they've got pictures of all sorts of... Are they, are they mad? Did you read that there was a thing the other day? I mean, I was listening to some people talking to Darren earlier on. To be honest with you, it was like bringing out your dead half the time. It was really seriously worrying. Some of the people who appeared not to know anything, they appeared to be sort of blissful in their ignorance. And one woman who then started sort of questioning homosexuality... I thought she seemed to come from the dark ages immediately. I've never heard anybody say homosexuality. The word is gay. Nobody's used homosexuality for donkey's years. You know, it must be really, really backward. Sort of, you know. And what are the Daily Mail going to make of it? What, you think there's nobody gay working at the Daily Mail? God, blimey, come on. Let's grow up and come into the real world, shall we? Sorry? Yes, exactly. We know one very, very openly gay person at the Daily Mail. Comes on to LBC on a regular basis. Got his own show! On LBC. Good Lord. I love the way people go, oh, of course, the Daily Mail, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like the homosexuals. And you think, yeah, it's veritable fairyland down there, I'm told. Veritable fairyland. Anyway, what have we got for you this morning? Oh, still to go. Oh, please stay in more. Taylor Swift and boring old Tom Hiddleston. Why don't you stay in? Stop posing for your little camera crew that follow you about taking all the pictures. Tom, I think you've basically killed a career. You know, she's obviously, she's flying you around in the jet, so you're kind of like the poor relation. It's looking a bit sad. Okay. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Thursday, 30th of June. Love a Thursday. Love a Thursday. Love a Thursday. Tax bill at the end of July. Oh, God. And uh, I was going to bid for that diamond that came up for sale the other day. And it was quite a nice one. They reckon it's about a million years old. 
That's what's what they reckon it is. It's the I think it's the largest that they found. It's one thousand one hundred and nine carats. It was mined in Botswana, and um, in the uh, Tswana language, it's called our light. Our and they haven't cut it. Bear in mind, it's just in the raw form at the moment. They were looking for, I think, about fifty-two million pounds. That was the estimate. Fifty-two. Million. It didn't reach that. It only got as far as forty-five million, and the company that owned it were not going to sell it for forty-five million. Cutting it would just be a nightmare, wouldn't it, really? The most expensive diamond was the Oppenheimer Blue, which last month uh, went for just under £40 million, £39.5 million, £40 million. Pounds. Wow. But uh, this one here, beaten for size only by the Kulinan, which was 3,106 carats, uh, which was mined in 1905. And even that didn't go for that price. Because I remember when they actually cut the Kulinan diamond and uh, they gave it to an expert diamond cutter because if, if you don't cut it properly, it can shatter. That's the whole art of diamond cutting. It's not as simple as, as you think it is. Um, uh, but this one failed to, to reach, which was a shame. It's called the Lucara Diamond Corporation. So it's a, it's a tennis ball-sized gem. Imagine whoever found it went, look what I've found. And they go, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a serious amount of money. So once it starts being cut... Then you'll know. I mean, you could probably split it up. It's the size of a tennis ball. Probably four or five easy, you know, 10, 15 million pounds for each one. If not more, 20 million for each one. Two, four, give you 80 million pound return on 52 million pound uh, expenditure. Not, not bad at all, is it? But didn't sell. Didn't sell. Didn't sell. So, yeah, just, just go to QVC and get some of that sort of that fake diamond stuff. That sort of zircon you know, they've got all these fantastic names on all the jewellery channels. And uh, in, in a lot of cases, they're what's known as industrial diamonds. In other words, they're worth absolutely, you know, nothing. They're worth, you know, you might as well put dust in there. They're seriously worth nothing at all. Go and buy, go and buy costume jewellery and you go, oh, they look like real diamonds. Yeah, it's just a bit of cut glass. You know, and, and a lot of this stuff, you have to be very careful what you're buying. I love the way that on the jewellery channels, the old bimbos presenting it. And I have to call them bimbos because they get so overexcited over a bit of tat. I mean, seriously, it is, it is like just watching the worst acting you've ever seen. And then there was one woman the other day, I wish I could remember her name. I don't think she had a name. It was just called Bimbo. And, uh, and she was getting excited. She went, and and she, did, she did the worst acting I've ever seen into the camera. Do the bosses know that we're selling it at this price? I thought, are you really that thick? We know you look thick, but, I mean, come on. Don't treat us like idiots. So I could probably lose my job selling it at this price. Oh, good, thank God for that. Go now. Go now. Do us all a favour. And so she holds it up, and up comes the price, as usual. Something ridiculous, like £629. And you think, OK, here we go. Let's go through the charade, shall we? £629. And she goes, look at... And she keeps moving her fingers backwards and forwards. She looks a bit arthritic, actually. She's sort of moving back, backwards and forwards to try and hopefully catch the light. And, and then she goes, it's coming... It's coming to... No. Are we... Are we... And she does... It's like... It does like that. She, are we allowed to do this? Oh, my God. You need to get in quick. There's only one opportunity. There's a lot of collectors in America. Collectors in America? She's so delusional. She's quite clearly off her trolley. And so she sits there going, wait a minute, it's co- £399 from six... Oh, this is ridiculous. This is... Again? No. How much? £99. It's £699. And she looks at the camera, pleading. I'm looking at the camera, thinking, if somebody's got an assault rifle behind there, you know, perhaps you could kind of help us out on this one. Shatter this diamond to pieces. The next thing, it goes... Goes like that. 29 99 And still they can't flog it. 
Still, she sits there talking to herself and the, and the, and the crew who by this time have gone to sleep. They're just, oh, shut the dreary woman up. Oh, God, it was so dreadful. But it's hilarious to watch. It's, hilar- it's almost as funny as Sally Jacks is presenting. Ah! She is Miss Screechy Woman. I seriously, seriously, when I first saw her, I thought there was something the matter with her. She's tried to sort of get some publicity for herself. She's been on the Come Dine With Me. Not the celebrity version, I'm afraid to say, because she's not a celebrity. She's just a presenter. And in fact, when I say she's just a presenter, that's scraping the barrel a little bit. She sits there with this peculiar hair. Old woman, you know, and you need to get this. and Oh, God, it's garbage. It really is garbage. But I'm addicted to it. I can't help it. I've got to watch it. I've got a programme to fill. And, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm not watching what you're all watching, goodness sake. Uh, Chris says, uh, radio presenting is your niche. You love it and you're good at it. I know it is true. I'm very good at it. I'm very, very good. I'm even better at it than I thought I was, actually. <laughs> I think that sounds so funny when somebody says to you, what do you do for a living? I never like to say to people. I never, if, if somebody sort of, if I'm in conversation with people that I don't know and they don't know me, and they go, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, I'm just in the media. I just kind of dismiss because if you say you're on the radio and they go, oh, right, so wh- where do you work? And you mention, you know, LBC. They might not have heard of LBC, in which case, you know, it's, it's lose-lose. So I, I prefer to say nothing. And so they say, oh, so, so what time are you on? And I go, <laughs> that's when it's, we get a painful silence. And I sort of go, well, I start at four, I finish at 6.30. And they go, who's listening at that time? I go, you want to see my figures. You want to see my figures. I tell you, we are tops. We are tops. Top figures, top everything. Big up the programme. I said, that's why I'm on six days a week. So I tell a lie, seven days a week. Seven days a week. And they go, you're not. I go, I am. Not actually physically here on one of the days, but uh, it's still my voisé. And, that, and people, people seem to think there's nobody listening at this time of the morning. It's such a huge audience, you cannot believe it. That's why we talk about the spike at 4am. It goes, shoots through the roof. I met a lady yesterday and she said to me, she said, God, she said, you keep me away. So I'm listening to you from 4am in the morning. They'll always say it to Paul. They'll always say, I listened to him from 4 in the morning. And Paul will go, yeah, I know. <laughs> what a fun day we had yesterday. <laughs> what a fun day. And, um, and so it's quite nice, actually. But it, 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 is, it is true. I'm very successful at what I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, actually. They'd have, they'd have put on Bing Tone or something like that. But she says, uh, if you've got the bailiffs coming, it'll be Bucks Fizz you're popping out to buy. No, absolutely not. I never did Bucks Fizz. My mother did Bucks Fizz. It was a treat at Christmas. Champagne and orange juice. I hated it. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Well, I didn't really, but because it kept my mum happy, so that was good. She says, by the way, Prosecco at Costco. No, 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 no. Prosecco at M&S. Yes, yes, yes. Buy six, save 25%. It's still not the same, because at the moment, the uh, Prosecco at M&S is running 11 quid a bottle. So 11 quid a bottle, that's 66 I could buy 10 bottles at Costco of a very, very, very acceptable Superior Prosecco. Because it works out at 5.74, so it's six-something, just under the seven quid for a, for a bottle of Prosecco. So much better value, I'm afraid, much better. I have drunk, don't get me wrong, I've drunk it. But being mean, I prefer to call it being careful. We were talking about this the other day, we were talking about saving up. Because a friend of uh, Paul and mine is, uh, is saving up to get a mortgage. You know, because obviously the banks are very keen to lend mortgages, very keen to lend money at the moment on mortgages. Provided you've saved a certain amount, they're very keen. So, for example, if you save up, say, 10,000, you can probably get, you know, 90,000, they'll lend you. Now, admittedly, down here in London, nothing. Rabbit hutch. Seriously, nothing. Go up north. 
You can still buy terraces for £50,000, little terraced houses, which would be a starter. And somebody's always going to buy a starter place. So, you know, that's why. But, I mean, down here, I don't think we've ever had anything at 90000 quid. Not that, I, not that I ever remember. 90000 90000 We were talking about house prices the other day. But anyway, this sort of, this sort of uh, mutual friend of, of Paul and uh, myself is going to save up. And, because once you've actually got your first place, it's, a, it's, it's, actually, it's actually quite good. Because you, it's, you do have a feeling of, I own some bricks and mortar. And there's a good chance that it's going to go up in price. You're not going to lose on it. I mean, I forget what my... I think the last house that my parents sold, shows how long ago it was, they sold it for about £24,500. I think they paid six for it. £6,000. They sold it for 24500 And they ended up living uh, behind Harrods in, uh, in Knightsbridge, which was nice. Then my mother moved down to Henley. And, uh, and was very happy down there because it was quite a nice... Lots of crime, though, in Henley. You wouldn't have thought it, would you? But loads of crime in Henley. And I think the first place I bought was a flat. I was in a bedsit, and then I bought a flat with the help of my parents. My parents gave me the deposit for the flat because that's what parents do if they're nice. They do things like that. I was sort of... I wasn't, I wasn't earning enough money to save anything, so they gave me the deposit to buy the place, and then they paid the legal fees as well because when the bill came in for the legal fees, I nearly topped myself... I said, I couldn't believe that. Wow, where's that money coming from? And so I was, I was very good. And, uh, and I, I sort of did things for them. But obviously you can never pay back, can you? And um, the producer, Chris, thinks his parents bought the house for about 30000 in 1980. He said it's now worth about £750,000. It's frightening, isn't it? If you bought a house, I mean, I, I paid for my place 70000 So I put down a, a hefty deposit and, and spent £70,000 on it. That was about 20 something years ago. For ages, it didn't move. For ages, it didn't move at all. And then all of a sudden, Marks and Spencers moved in Twickenham and up went the prices. All of a sudden, Marks and Spencers determined what the prices were going to be like because we'd all sat there going, are they never going to go up? And I can remember neighbours selling places for 90,000 and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, we went through the roof. And that's, uh, that's nice. But in fact, even on the reasonable salary that the producer earns, bonus for working with me, of course, but still couldn't dream of buying a place in London. He could, he could move out of town. I know a number of presenters here who've bought out of town because you get more for your money. It's the fact you've got to commute. And I would always, I would love, if I won the lottery, the dream would be to buy a big house out of town and a place in town so that you haven't got to go back all the time. But you'd have somebody living in the house out of town just to make sure it was secure. And, uh, and then a place in town that you could walk to. I did look at some flats a short while ago in the Strand. It used to be a very famous uh, restaurant chain and they converted the, uh, the, the rooms above it into three flats. I think it was three flats. They put a lift in and I think it's called Gatty House. It's really lovely. And I think one of the flats was 2.3 million, one was 3 million, one was 1.75. And I thought if you had enough money, I'd buy the whole lot because they were beautifully converted. They really looked nice. And I, I just... Well, the top one had, came with a roof terrace. It had those big bi-popular bi folding door things. Bipolar folding doors. And uh, so you opened it all up, and then it went down... It frightened the life out of me, because I don't like any heights. I'm really not good with heights. My worst nightmare is watching any film where they're on the top of a building and they run towards the edge and somebody falls over. I can make myself sick. Mind you, I made myself cry again this morning. I don't know why. It was I was sort of wandering through music... And on YouTube, and I put in Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap to see what middle of the road looked like. Where's your mama gone? And then I did Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. Oh, 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 oh. And then there was uh, 
Lion sleeps tonight. And that was uh, with a very camp-tight fit. And for some reason, after that, uh, we did Les Miserables at um, a Royal Variety performance. And then I hit on Robin Williams. Don't ask me why. Robin Williams doing the Captain My Captain scene at the end of Dead Poets Society. And somebody's put up um, a little tribute. So you get the... If you haven't seen the film, it's weepy time. It's weepy time. It's, uh, it's, it's Robin Williams at, uh, I thought, his best. And so they do this thing, and at the end, Robin has been fired from this, this very posh school for doing his sort of version of poetry and everything else. And it was the Dead Poets Society that they, they formed. And at the end, the school kick him out because one boy's committed suicide because his father didn't want him to do plays about, you know, Oberon and all this kind of stuff. It would be a man. Get out there and do it. And so Robin is kicked out, so he goes back in to collect his stuff, and there's the class of the boys there with, uh, with a new master who has taken over the, the control. And uh, he goes, I just come, yes, collect your stuff. Thank you, collect your stuff, get out. And as he goes out, he says, um, one of the boys stands up and says, I just wanted to tell you that we were made to sign this form because the boys were all sort of put in detention. And it was then you got that famous standing on the desk scene with Captain My Captain. And gradually, one by one, the boys stand up. Not all of them, because they're not all in favour of this, but the majority of the boys stand up and do this Captain My Captain with this fabulous bit of music. And, um, and Robin Williams then says, thank you, boys. Thank you. And at that moment, they freeze his face on this clip that's on YouTube and they put up, what was it? It says, I think, thanks for the laughs. Thanks for, for making us cry. Thanks for being there. Thanks for being special, Robin. And, um, and that kind of, I kind of hit a raw note. The film makes me cry anyway, because it's that great piece of standing on the desks and everything. The music is fantastic. And you could just see it's, it's just very emotional time. But it was the fact that, you know, Robin Williams died. And I think at Aladdin, they did a special tribute to him at the end. They said, listen, we just want to say, you know, thank you to Robin for all he did. He was obviously very troubled, very, very troubled. He was obviously, you know, very worried about, you know, career and things like that. When you've been very big and you've paid out a fortune and you maybe haven't got as much money as you thought you should have had, then I suppose there are there are big worries. But um, either way, he left. A, he did that dreadful film where he played a robot. Millennium Man, I think it was called. It was ghastly. It was absolutely ghastly. But as the voice of the genie in Aladdin, uh, that, that kind of made him. And he, he loved it. And the reason he actually loved it is because he moaned about the money afterwards. Disney, apparently, are not the best payers in the world. And he, he did the film to say to his kids, look, I'm a cartoon character, so the kids would be proud. And then Disney gave him, was it a Picasso or something like that? I'm sure that Disney, then, to make amends... Um, they, they gave him, it was a Picasso, so that he wouldn't moan about the money. And for those people who love radio, good morning, Vietnam. Imagine how that went down. Again, he was playing, you know, a controversial character. He liked playing those controversial characters. I think one time he used to do his comedy shows, and I think he'd had a few substances that he'd imbibed and stuff like that. Adrian Croner was the character, wasn't it? Cronauer. Was he a proper person? Was he a real person? Or was it sort of made up? Just a real person. Yeah. Exactly. If you actually meet these people, you go, oh, you don't look at all like I thought you were going to look. I thought you looked like Robin Williams. You go, no, Robin Williams is playing the character. In those days, they used to have... They've still got Forces Radio. You've still got BFBS. I think that's still still doing the rounds. Because I used to do uh, something on there on Johnny Walker's show years and years ago. That's why I bumped into Samantha Fox. My gran says, you slag me off, she said. <laughs> First thing she ever said to me, my gran says, you slag me off. <laughs> I said, Really? Oh, well, there you go. 
<laughs> que sera, sera. Uh, I was right again. Cliff Richard was at Wimbledon yesterday, and our man went out. Yes, Marcus Willis, roared on by his girlfriend, blonde, beautiful. Woo, God, you're going to be a topless model anytime soon. And everybody loves you, and you're gorgeous, but don't believe the hype, please. And, uh, oh, she's an ex... Oh, that's lovely. His, his sister, Chloe, she's a bit plain. And, uh, no, I, I mean that in a caring way. There's no point. I mean, ne- next to the other one, who's actually quite attractive and quite well, busty, uh, sister Chloe is a bit, bit naff. But anyway, uh, ex-beauty queen Jenny, beauty queen, because I'm beauty queen, and uh, she cheered him on, uh, but then he lost, which, of course, we expected him to. The moment he comes up against anybody decent, out they go and they disappear. So thank you very much indeed. See you next time round. It was out to Roger Federer. Whoa, there's more history. God, oh, blimey. This gets better and better, doesn't it? Ten to five. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Very interesting, actually, talking about Wolfman Jack, um, who was really Robert Weston Smith. He died, actually, in 95, 1995. Famous for this sort of gravelly voice. He used to do shots of whiskey. But I used to know lots of other people. Everybody's got their own thing for making sure that the, the voice came out as was. And in American Graffiti, which has got just about everybody in it. I mean, they chucked them all in from Harrison Ford to, uh, well, everybody. Everybody. They were great. It was uh, Richard Dreyfus, uh, Charlie Martin Smith, Candy Clark, Mackenzie Phillips, Cindy Williams, uh, Ron Howard. Everybody was in it. I mean, it was a real, real... It was a great film, actually, but they hadn't seen. They'd only listened to the radio. This is when people used to pull up outside the diners in their cars and they'd, the waitress would come over on roller skates and put the tray down on the car window or you'd go to the drive-in. It was very much 50s, very much 50s, um, because there were two versions. I think there was one that came out in 79, which I think was more American graffiti. Uh, it was produced on a budget of less than a million dollars goes to prove what you can do in under a million dollars and it was great film but they go to this radio station to try and see wolfman jack but they can't get in so they go round the back and they look in the window and there is wolfman jack my 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 it was all like that it was all good stuff actually but uh interestingly enough um the 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 people uh who feature in the film i was never sure if they were real people because they actually say so and so you know ended up being killed by a drunk driver toad was missing in action uh, in December, Steve is an insurance agent and Kurt is a writer living in Canada, implying that he may have been there as a draft dodger. But that's So they were sort of characters, but they sort of came to life just for us. Lovely stuff. Anyway, I've just ordered a load of films, actually, this morning. I've gone through, gone through again, I've, it's fatal going to Amazon. Fatal for me. Because once I find a film that I want, uh, if I've sort of remembered, like I watched the documentary on the Mary Rose, so I wanted a DVD on the Mary Rose and the history behind it. So that... That arrived. And then I shall no doubt be pre-ordering, because it will be available for, for, for pre-ordering, um, Ab Fab, the movie. Everybody was there. Bubbles was there. Uh, June Whitfield. How is, it? is she 90 now? She's 90, I think, or something like that. I mean, that woman, she's been in radio with, uh, with the news headlines for longer than I think I've been in the business myself. 90 years, I thought so. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. But uh, they've got all the people who went out there. Oh, it looks very exciting, actually, doesn't it? Julia Sawala. My God. She's, like, grown up into a woman, hasn't she? I'm not really sure. That's a good look. You know. Oh, don't say too much about it, because I like Julia Sawala. But then I always like it, because that's right outside our front door. Right outside our front door. Lots of, lots of famous people. And they were famous people, although somebody said... As it, uh, Jenny said, the only person she saw was Ryland, so I'd consider that a bit of a disastrous evening. Rupert Murdoch and Jerry Hall were there, good Lord. She always saying, come on, old man, come on, let's go out. Oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. Kylie was there. 
She's she's looking good, isn't she? She knows how to do her makeup and things like that. Is that her boyfriend with the receding hairline? Oh dear, he does look as though he's an extra from the village people, doesn't he, really? I mean, I don't want to be rude about him, but he looks slightly odd. Beards like that are slightly worrying. The, our, our Australian producer's got a beard like that, hasn't he? It is a slightly village people look. Yeah, with sort of grey in it, I've noted. Grey in it at his age. He's only 24. That's a worry, isn't it? But the boyfriend's obviously loving a bit of the limelight. I mean, put it this way. I mean, at, the, at Pride, they were all there, all those sort of patsy lookalikes. And she's 70. She's seven. Joe Lumley is seven. I mean, she looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. And she's so, she's so nice. And when I say nice, you do so many interviews in this business, if you're lucky enough to do interviews. And, um, and some people, they come in, you're just, you're just another person who's interviewing them. So they, they probably can't even remember your name or anything like that. And, and some people are very, very good at remembering and popping your name in at odd points. And Joe Lumley's like that. She pops your name in every so often. You know, it's this Sunday I'm, I'm seeing Cliff Richard, don't you? So yesterday I, um, I sat down and watched the reunion concert with, with the Shadows, recreating the sound of the 50s and 60s, when they were 16 and 17-year-old boys. And uh, Hank Marvin, we've, we've done a couple of times for In Conversation. I'm hoping, hoping beyond hope, that we might be able to persuade Cliff to come in and do a, an In Conversation. But I'm not, I'm not holding out much hope on that one. <laughs> but, but it'd be nice to think. Be nice to think. And I hope the weather holds up. I bought a new jacket for this thing on Sunday. I don't want to turn up looking like a rag bag. I want to make sure I look, make some sort of effort. A little bit of a haircut, tidy up, I think. So that'll be off to see Kasia. But if you're lucky enough to meet people, as I do on a, on a regular basis. So, you know, people will say, who are you talking to today? And I say, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so. They go, really? I mentioned the other day that I've got a guest coming in next week who's an American actor. And I, I mentioned it to a friend of mine yesterday, Anthony. And he went... Wow, he's coming in. People always sort of question it, don't they, as if I've made it up or something. I said, no, he's, he's definitely coming in. I go, wow, he's, I'll bring my DVD in. Can you get him to sign it? I said, yeah, absolutely. We, we, I did that with Ray, Ray Liotta, if you remember, Ray Liotta. And uh, I got it signed from my brother. Because people get really excited by things like that. In fact, we, we, we had a book yesterday signed. It's the latest book from the lady who wrote The Devil Wears Prada, uh, Lauren uh, Weisberger. And so that will go into our, our charity pile, which is lovely, isn't it? On the subject of Good Morning Vietnam, Mork and Mindy, of course, was very good. Do you remember Mork and Mindy? And I used to watch that. Some of the stuff that came out from the studios at the same time as Mork and Mindy. I liked the uh, the two girls. Oh, what were they called now? There were two girls and they lived in a in a flat together. And it was in Detroit. They worked in a beer bottling plant or something like that. And they had their friends. We're going to do it. On your mask, kiss, there you go now. Da 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 da. We're gonna make it up again. Da 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 da. Go on, somebody will know what this is called because it's now going to drive me mad. Two girls who, who then since fell out. One went on to become a very, very successful producer of films, and the other one didn't. And it, no, it was set in Milwaukee. I'm sure it was set in Milwaukee. Somebody, go on, come on, give me an answer, please. I can't bear it when I don't know these things, and I know that you out there will... will. So, Mork and Mindy have done now. But, um, so, come on. Come on, what, what was the name of this blasted project? It was a comedy, it was American, it was brilliant. Dun, 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 dun. On your monkey said, can't go now. Dun, 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 dun. We're gonna make it if we are... Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley. Have you, if you watch that, I tell you, that'll put a smile on your face. That really will. Written by uh, and created by Gary Marshall. Penny Marshall was his sister. And she went on to be big, big star. 
Big, big star. Cindy Williams uh, was in it as well. And it was two people. It was a spin-off, I seem to remember, from, from Happy Days. Because I think they were introduced as acquaintances of, um, I think, the Fonz, Henry Winkler. Set in the same period... So about 1958, made by Paramount, created by Gary Marshall, exec produced by Gary Marshall and Thomas Miller and Edward uh, Milkis. It was brilliant. It was a Milwaukee brewery called Schott's Brewery. And it was it was great. You, you, you can actually buy it. Uh, it was Cindy Greco who did the making our dreams come true. When I do it. Da, 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 da. I've watched it countless times because I bought the box set and uh, nice to really honestly, I, I might as well go sit in bus shelters. Be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Really, sit in a bus shelter, Steve. You're having one of your, you're having one of your relapses again. One of those sort of things. So, uh, still to come after the news at five, which approaches in a matter of uh, seconds, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have a look at Judy Murray and how she's uh, she's open to any kind of offer at the moment. Who turned up to Ab Fab? As you know now, everybody. Uh, Prince Harry does another really, really tough day's work. Uh, Apple have invented the power to give live uh, venues the chance to kill your phone. Uh, camera to, to stop people taking pictures. That sounds exciting. I spoke to somebody the other day and he said, he said, I'd love a phone jammer. I said, you can buy them. They're illegal. But it's for people sitting on the train where you think, I've had enough of you. And you push the little button and it just obliterates the phone. Hello? Hello? Oh, there's nobody there. Because it's gone. Uh, five years for the Rita Raid Robert. We'll tell you about him. Obscene Rahim and uh, Corrie. Six days a week. All of that and more coming up next. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Thursday, the 30th of June. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC. The odds have been slashed on David Beckham being the next England manager. They'll do anything to tout the Beckham. Even my American guest yesterday, talking about her latest book, even in America, they're aware of who the Beckhams are, but they're not too sure what they do. I said roughly the same as us then. We don't know what they do either. We do know that, um, that Brooklyn is an amazing barista, an amazing photographer and just an amazing all-round person. Victoria doesn't eat anything and David, we don't really know what he does at the moment, but he does do good photo. Uh, obscene Rahim, he apparently started displaying his wealth. Not very good, but he's been totally useless on the pitch. And the high street shops where it's always sale time and relaxing before the carnage. Pictures from the Somme. They're, 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 they're quite... Um, Quite disturbing, the pictures from the Somme. When you look at, you know, these men, they didn't know what they were going into, but uh, believe you me, if you've seen the, the footage of people when they went over the top, I mean, they didn't even make it very far. They were just mown down in a hail of bullets. And, uh, and so that's why it's very important that we talk about it. Uh, Prince Harry does another strenuous day's work. It's where he gets up on stage and behaves like the embarrassing uncle. It's a case of, can't you just behave a little bit royal? Can't you sort of stop trying to pretend that you're normal, whereas, in fact, we know you're not? Because, you know, you've always got bodyguards with you. It's always, you know, it's, it's, it's just a bit of a fake kind of sort of setup. I know you're not talking about films that instantly make you cry, but for me, The End of Steel Magnolia, Sally Field at the funeral scene, always very good. I went to see that with, uh, with Princess Diana. There's my claim to fame. I went to the royal premiere, which was held in... I think it was here at the Odeon next door. I'm pretty certain because the theme... Uh, was played by a live orchestra. We had a live orchestra in, and uh, and Diana was there. Great film. If you've never seen Steel Magnolias, it was a very good stage play. Uh, but once they actually put it into film context, oh, it was brilliant. But it's it's got the sad bit. It's got the sad bit at the end. But it's a super film. It really is. I, I love it. So, Tony, I mean, I, I know exactly... Um, 
I know exactly what you mean about it because I, it made me cry every time since. I bought no end of copies of it. <laughs> uh, 84850. Uh, John says, as part of the 4am spike, always part of it. Thank you, John. He says, did you ever watch Louis Theroux's attempt at going on a home shopping channel in America and trying to sell stuff? Good God. Really? Is it good? What does he sell? He sell he sells... What do, does he sell his own stuff or... Didn't know he had anything, really. Isn't he supposed to be a close friend of James O'Brien or something like that? I know he's always name-dropping him, so I'm assuming he must know him really well. Sorry, I had to have a slurp of coffee. I do beg your pardon. How rude at this time of the morning. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to find out, actually. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to find out. what From the late 90s, Weird Weekend series. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Gosh. Oh, I love stuff like that. <laughs> 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Everything we weave in on the programme. We don't miss anything out at all. We don't like to. So I haven't seen that, actually, John, but I shall. I shall try and... Check it out. Details on screen. Louis attempts to become a presenter. Oh, it's part of his, uh, his series then, wasn't it? He attempts to become a presenter on the Home Shopping Network. Meets Andy Sullivan and Billy Mays. He also, also meets people who invent, sell and make a fortune from products such as the Wind Gym. Oh, this was the... Oh, that's right. Didn't he also go and... Isn't, didn't he go and meet this vile family in America? That was later, but it was also part of the same series. He went to uh, the American black nationalist groups have been branded anti-Semitic, homophobic, misogynistic and racist by the mainstream press. So he went to Harlem. He meets a couple from Southern California who host swinging parties. Uh, He does wrestling, hordes of -of out-of-work actors and even goes on an audition himself. And the porn star, I remember very well indeed. I remember him doing that. Um... It's the other side of the porn industry. Uh, Louis interviewed male and female porn stars. He reveals the problems a lot of porn actors uh, face because if if they can't get a job in straight films, they end up doing gay films. And so it's called Gay for Pay. And so he met... Uh, he met all, in fact, I think actually he appears in a gay porn film. He does. He appears as a trooper or something. I Vaguely in the back of my mind because I've got the box set. And the, he re... That's right. Yeah, all it just destroyed, isn't it? Awful, really. Awful. Uh, also, he follows uh, various people who believe in UFOs. Uh, one man who is the self-titled Lord Commander of the Earth Protectors. He claims to have killed more than 20 aliens. They're quite mad. Quite mad, these people. I mean, whichever way you look at it. Even, even erring on the side of caution, they might be slightly barking mad. This one is completely over the top. And then he met um, uh, the TV evangelist, Marcus and Joni Lamb. And he joined a group of hardcore Christians called The Family as they visit the Deep Ellum Entertainment District. Yeah, I quite like these uh, these uh, programmes. It's quite good, actually. You can watch Weird Weekends online, but we can't tell you where. OK, That's, I'm sorry. You could send money, but it wouldn't make the slightest difference. I'm still not going to tell you. Have to search for it yourself. So uh, so that's what I So I'm, I'm glad, actually. I'm glad, actually, that I'd, I've seen a lot of the uh, the Louis Theroux Stuff and I, I like it a lot actually. Uh, Steve says, Jim, uh, your show cheers me up every morning. Thank you. Well, it's reflected in the figures, it cheers a lot of people up, so I'm very happy with that. Uh, Judy's become part of the establishment, tennis royalty, and there's no doubt she's cashing in. Well, the male have done a, a big thing on her. I never liked her. I'm sorry, I just, you know, some people you like, some people you don't. And here she is making a mint, hawking brands. And uh, they say here, with two sons competing at Wimbledon, you think Judy Murray would actually sort of, you know, disappear off. But um, she seems to be keen to cheer on three product brands, sparking accusations. She's cashing in on her children's success because she's as boring as they come. 
Mrs Murray is an ambassador for a coffee company, a bank and, and a drink and has been actively promoting them during the championships. She was handing out coffee the other day to fans in the queue. I mean, quite clearly, she's as shameless as they come. She'll quite clearly just do about anything. She's been seen wearing branded clothing. And uh, some people have tried to block the commercial in which she appears to get cross about the amount of mint leaf foliage in her um, in her drink. And, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, she's always been a bit shameless. She'll do just about anything, won't she? Just about anything to uh, to earn a poor crumb. Her sponsorship deals, they say, we're getting at least 70 grand over Wimbledon fortnight. Why do people print anything with her in over Wimbledon or anywhere near Wimbledon when she's getting her own sponsorship? You know, handing out free drinks outside only goes to prove how shameless she is. And as I say, she'll just about do anything. The loser who won the heart of Centre Court, but he's got a pretty girlfriend. And that's nice, isn't it? It's really good. And uh, Jennifer Bates, and she's obviously chosen her outfits. And being beauty queen, you know, being beauty queen, because that's what I was, like beauty queen. And so she knows how to purr. Hello. Ooh, look, look at me again. Look at me in the papers. Ooh, there I am again. Unbelievable. Uh, why are lions good for a woman, but not for a man? That explains it, doesn't it? That explains it. I woke up really early this morning. Well, I say really early. I woke up at about uh, half past 12. And I bounced out of bed. Because I've got one of these mattresses, which is sort of, it's memory foam. I'm always surprised. When I get out of bed, they say it moulds to your shape. And I look at the shape in the bed and I think, I'm sure that's not me. It can't be. But uh, obviously it is. And, uh, and I was watering the plants. As it was raining, as it was raining, I'm out there doing the, uh, doing the baskets. And, uh, and quite happy doing it because I thought I'm not going to do it later on today. Uh, Jim says, why is there never a partner with her, with Judy? I don't know. I don't know anything about that side of her. I just know she's shameless. And uh, she was never my favourite person anyway. She turned up. Didn't she do the um, Strictly Come Dancing? We had to suffer with her in that. That proved to me once and for all. Didn't she get... Um, who's that one who likes partnering old women? Tony Beak. Tony Beak partners all the old women. He got Anne Whittacombe and he got all these other ones. And he always... He thinks he's a bit of a Bruce Forsyth, but of course he isn't. Bruce Forsyth had talent. Whereas uh, Tony Beak is just very, very irritating. Very irritating. Uh, another one here, quickly. Uh, well, I don't, I don't, wait a minute, so I've lost where I was going to here, actually. We're still going on on Morecambe Mindy. <laughs> was a spin-off from Happy Days. No, Morecambe Mindy wasn't a spin-off from Happy Days. Definitely not. That came before... I'm pretty certain, pretty certain in the back of my mind, Mork and Mindy was long before Happy Days. We shall, we shall have a check. We shall have a check. Um, I, don't, I don't remember that. I'm trying to think back in my mind as to which order. It is a spin-off, is it? What year did it come out then? Mork and Mindy was what, what year? What year was that? 78, and Happy Days was... God, Happy Days must have... 74 to 84, right, OK. I should like the bloke who used to have the cafe in uh, Happy Days. Monday, Tuesday, Happy Days. I wonder what they all look like now. Are they all still alive? No, they're not, are they? I think the, uh, the family have all sort of got... The Fonz looks very old and very tiny. Very small, very tiny. Um, he spoke at the Foreign Office. Uh, he does uh, all sorts of bits and pieces. Uh, he's got what? Yes, everybody loves him. I remember he came in here. I'll tell you who, who did him. I'm sure that O'Brien did him. I'm pretty certain O'Brien was a big, big fan. Mind you, O'Brien was a big, big fan of that group Aha as well. And, he, you know, the, the, we were offered the opportunity to talk to Morton Harkett. And I said, no, I'm not really interested. And O'Brien leapt on it. Uh, so who else? So Winkler, Henry Winkler was born. His parents emigrated from Berlin on the eve of World War Two. And uh, his father smuggled the only assets the family had left, family jewels, in a box of chocolates. 
Inter- interesting story, isn't it? Very interesting story. But where's the, where's the rest of them from Happy Days? What have they all done? Where have they all gone to? All the stars from Happy Days. Well, we know what Ron Howard did. He did very well. Marion Ross, um, she's still going, isn't she? She's, she's 87. 87. I used to love her. She was, she was so sort of dipsy in a nice kind of way. I liked her a lot. Like her a lot. She sort of popped up on, on all sorts of things. Who else we got? Anson Williams. Uh, he was he was Potsy Webber. Do you, he was kind of good looking, but he used to sing as well. He's now sixty six, and um, he's got a he's a television director. His yeah, with short programs for adolescent aged children. He's directed several episodes of the TV series Seventy Ninth Heaven. And um, they're interesting. I'd like to know what they've all done. There was a bit of a lawsuit, I believe, uh, in the estate of Tom Bosley, filed a £10 million breach of contract lawsuit against the company which owned the show, claiming that they'd never been paid for the merchandising. Uh, CBS said it owed the actors 8500 and 9000 each, most of, it, most of it from slot machine revenues, but the group said they were owed millions. And so, eventually, they, they settled, and uh, they got a payment of 65 thousand and a promise by CBS to continue honouring the terms of their contracts. William says, I'm very satisfied. And that's all I can say. So they got 60 because there was an awful lot. The monkeys got exactly the same when the monkeys uh, set off and they were an assembled group. There was an advert that appeared. They were they were looking for people and um, they thought that they were going to be going in there and writing songs and everything else. But they weren't. All the songs were already done and practically recorded. So when Mike Nesmith turned up with his guitar, they went, no, it's, it's, we've, we've already recorded it. It's already been done. Uh, we just need somebody to front it. And that's why. It's, it, was, it was a very interesting history. I've got a great documentary that somebody very kindly sent me. You know who you are. And, uh, and I was watching it because to see them talking about it, you know, the, uh, the, all, all, of the, all of the tracks were already done. Produced mainly by a guy called Adam uh, Schleslinger with additional tracks by another... Andrew, called Sandoval, and uh, since, yeah, there's a new album coming out. Yes, that's what I thought, actually. Even though uh, Mickey Dolenz and Peter Talk only provide backing vocals, whereas Mickey, if you actually see him on television uh, and on the tour, he does most of the vocals on the show, which reminds me, the first single from the Beatles, Love Me Do, um, three drummers on it. There was uh, a session drummer... There was Pete Best and then Ringo Starr. And in the end, Ringo Starr didn't feature on it. He just played tambourine. He played tambourine. And the session drummer played on Love Me Do because there's a drum kit which has just come up for sale, which they reckon could fetch about $200,000. My God, we're all over the place today. So, so a new album by the Monkees because uh, Michael Nedsmith, his um, aunt, invented liquid paper. So he didn't want to do it. He brought out a couple of albums himself, and then that, that sort of fizzled out. Davy Jones died. That was a shock for everybody in this country. And so you're left with Peter Talk, who I interviewed, and Mickey Dolan. So I've tried to get in on numerous occasions, and I'm not having much joy, actually, getting him in at all. But uh, that'll be interesting, won't it? And uh, so this, this project, a 50th anniversary album of the Beatles. Wow. Because also, uh, the songs... I mean, the big one for them was uh, written by Neil Diamond, of course. I thought love was only true in fairy tale. And everybody sings along to it, so we all love that, didn't we? And then Daydream Believer. I mean, that is such a good song for football fans or rugby fans to sing along to. Cheer up, sleep. Everybody does it, because everybody knows it. I've just bought all these albums for the car. Hits of the 70s and hits of the 60s. I frightened myself yesterday. 
singing all these songs in the car. Anybody passing me driving yesterday must have thought he's off his chump. He's singing away to the records, quite happy. Boot full of uh, Prosecco and singing along to 60s and 70s songs. Doesn't get any better as far as I'm concerned. Well, it does. We could do with some sunshine. 17 minutes past five. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Thursday, 30th of June. Oh, please don't rain today. Please don't rain today. Try and save it for a little bit. Uh, Tomorrow, I've got an interview coming in. And I know you're going to be interested. Uh, It's the man, the magician, who won Britain's Got Talent. So he's going to come in. Now, I don't think he knows that I'm a member of the Inner Magic Circle as well. So I always like that because when you get people coming in to talk about something and if I know that their interest is is magic. And, you know, he did that uh, that card effect at the end. Um, and it, Fer- Fergus Ancorn featured uh, as he was telling the story. And Fergus, I've, I've known down the Magic Circle for years. Everybody knows him because he's Fergus Ancorn and he's uh, and he's, he's really interesting. Strangely. Strangely, the, the, the links with Richard Jones coming in are not only does he uh, play in a band, he's part of, uh, he's a bandsman uh, for Trooping the Colour. Uh, he was born in London, but he studied for a year in Twickenham at the Royal Military School of Music, which is at, at Nella Hall, which they're thinking of converting to flats, God help us. Seriously, I can't believe it. I don't know why they're doing it. And he also is, uh, is uh, a member of the Inner Magic Circle. You get to be a member of the Magic Circle... Uh, the Inner Magic Circle, and then Inner Magic Circle with Goldstar, and so it goes on and all the rest of it. So we're on the same level, except uh, I'm more an enthusiast, but I like talking about magic. So we've got lots to talk about on the programme, including the story of Fergus Ancorn, who kind of triggered the, the trick, because a friend of mine is on YouTube doing a similar trick, different ending, different ending. Um, and his is, uh, he, he does it to music. I'll tell you about him a little bit later on this morning. Uh, Paul says, I think Laverne and Shirley was an American copy of The Liver Birds, which I think was done earlier. I love The Liver Birds. I thought The Liver Birds, na 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 Great one. Uh, somebody says, who tells you what to say? Uh, brain, generally the brain. Doesn't actually tell me, it just sort of, is it's a very expensive, t- I mean, I don't want to sort of say anything because other programmes get a bit jealous about it, but I do have writers on this show. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking out of turn here. It's just I don't want to shout it too much because there are people listening in this building who would love to have the facilities that I've got. I've got people who I come in and they present me with a whole series of gags and funny bits and I look at them and go, rubbish, get out. And, uh, and they say, how about doing this? And I go, yeah, I'll think about it. And then if, if, if it sort of just comes into my mind, then I'll actually use it. But I mean, other programmes around, they don't have that luxury. They don't have the luxury of it. I mean, Tom Swarbrick would kill the writing team that I've got. Seriously. You know, all of that. Exactly. It doesn't make any difference. I can't do anything about it. It's just the way it's evolved over the years. And now I think there's, I think in the whole team, there's probably about 10 of them or something like that. And they contribute not all, not, not every single day. You know, I mean, some days you have to sober them up to get sort of a line out of them. But I mean, most of the time it's actually quite, uh, quite funny. Uh, brilliant uh, documentary on Netflix about a group of session musicians who appeared and made famous loads of acts. They were known as the Wrecking Crew. Oh, the session musicians featured on loads of um, loads of things. Most, most of the groups that we can think of, like First Class Beach Baby, all session musicians. That's why they never toured. There wasn't anything to tour. And so that's how, it, that's how it was. I told you before, you know, the Bay City Rollers' first single, Keep On Dancing, wasn't even them. It was session musicians who sang the song, and then once they got the song as a hit, then they had to find somebody to appear on top of the pops. Uh, Shane, the new spelling of Shane, S-H-A-I-N, 
That's a new one for us over here. But he's in Texas, where everything apparently is bigger. And looking at his photograph, that's kind of true. He says, uh, it's 22.40 in Texas. Probably not now, I shouldn't imagine. He says, you're adorable. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, thank, thank God you're that far away. <laughs> in te- I've never been to Texas. Never been there. Never, ever, never been to Texas. I don't know why. Why would I never go to Texas? I've been to all these sort of the usual places. You know, the usual places like sort of New York and Florida. I don't know why we go to Florida. Why do we go to Florida? I think because we go, oh, it's going to be sunny. And we like that. Um, Malcolm says, I just like the cartoon series, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. Was that the thing that went, wait till your father gets, until your father gets, wait till your father gets home, I think. And that, that voice of Tom Bosley did it. Ah, well, there you go. You told me something that, uh, that I, did, uh, I did not know. And um, was it the uh, third in conversation with Warwick Davis, says John? It was, actually. It was the third time. First time he came in, he came in because he was doing pantomime with Lisa Marie Presley. Just gone for her fourth divorce. But at least I can say I met her. I met Lisa Marie Presley, and Warwick Davis has been a delight ever since. An absolute... Oh, who was going the other day to go and see the show? Oh, my producer. He was going, I think, last night to go and see Warwick at the Palladium. He had a show there. It was a one-off, and I'm sure that Mark was going there to see that. But uh, he says, uh, you two sounded like mates. He says, I can't find it on the site, but any chance you've ever chatted with Patrick Stewart? No. I have to... Do you know, to be honest with you, sometimes people say to me, in fact, mainly the producer... He'll say, do you want to talk to so-and-so? And I go, when did we last talk to him? He has then, then go back into the archives to try and find whether I've spoken to that particular person and when it was. Because, you know, when you're sometimes doing three... I've done as many as six interviews in one week, in which case, as you can well imagine, the brain starts becoming a little bit befuddled by it. So, in fact, yesterday... We had, a, we had a chat, and, uh, and he said, uh, I've got some booked in for next week, he said, but I don't want to do too many, he said, because otherwise also they, they've got uh, use-by dates on them. You know, the PR companies say, well, you know, we'd like you to run this weekend. If we've already got two scheduled for that weekend, we have to juggle around and we have to re-record different openers and things like that, and then people go off sick, so I've got to make sure it's got the right intro. It's far more complicated. Than you mean. It's not just somebody wandering in, doing an interview. There's so many other bits which fit into it. And then the producer's got to script it and then he's got to assemble the programme because at the moment he just has two bits whereas we're sort of splitting it and then there's other bits that come into it as well as like little teases which is good uh jenny says uh louis through is very good but the shopping channel what is he selling coffins <laughs> i don't know actually i don't know uh another one here and this is uh somebody else saying you're quite right actually uh she is part of the establishment uh which is um Judy Murray. Boring, actually. And uh, uh, when I saw her face... I love that song. I love the song. It's so good. In fact, we're now going to have it stuck in our minds. Do you remember Rona? Yes, I do remember Rona. And that was played by... Oh, God, who played Rona? Who played Rona? Didn't she have cancer? Didn't she have cancer? The woman who played Rona? I seem to remember. I've got an image of a woman in my mind and I'm trying to think... I can see her face and I think she ended up with... Cancer, I'm pretty certain. Rona, R-H-O-N-A. And she was played by... Oh, God, you know, sometimes when your brain deserts you, you start thinking, who was it? Or was that another one? There was certainly one, a one-woman title. And I think it was about a woman in, in America, in an apartment, and about her single life. I'm pretty certain. Pretty certain. Rona, Rona, why does that... Sp- so annoying when you can't remember something, and yet I remember little bits of it. 
little bits of it. So, um, so do help me out on that one because I, I think I might have forgotten on that one. So, thank you, David, for completely sort of making my brain work overtime. Was it was it R H O N A or R O N A? No, I think it was no, it was Rhoda. This was Valerie Harper. I thought I was getting a bit confused by it. Rhoda, you fool. And um, she's is she still alive? Actually. Yeah, she's 76. I'm sure she she survived cancer. I'm pretty certain. I mean, she's been on Broadway. She does a lot of uh, charity work. And um, yes, that's why. She was diagnosed with cancer in 2009. And uh, then she'd got this rare condition in which the cancer cells had spread uh, to the membrane surrounding the brain. She said the doctors gave her as little as three months life expectancy. And then 2015, she was hospitalised. Uh, after falling unconscious and taken uh, to a larger hospital for further treatment, she was later released. So she's she's still going. She's still going. Fantastic, isn't it? Must be something about people. I think if you've got work, I think that's what keeps you going. I think if you don't have any work, then you kind of you kind of give up, don't you? Really, you need to you need to have something that that focuses the mind. Uh, I noticed that Elvis's guitarist died. That was Scotty Moore. A member of the original band. He was 84. Is that the kind of age Elvis would be now if he, would, if he was still alive? Do you think he'd still be working? Do you think they'd still be bringing him out for things? I wonder. He did all the early performances uh, of, of Presley and the music, but he left in 57. And in 56, he'd earned just over 8,000 whilst Presley became a millionaire. They didn't earn any money in those days, did they? They, they, they didn't earn anything at all. Elvis, if he'd been alive today, would be 81. 81. Elvis would be 81. Do you think he'd still be working? What if he, you know, had he lived, would he have made it through to 81? I don't know. He had a pretty hectic lifestyle. Pretty hectic. Uh, talking about, I was watching something on the, uh, the, uh, the YouTube the other day. And every time I watch any of these old groups, I keep thinking of Noreen, who goes to all these, all these shows and everything else. But in fact, she's actually off to see All or Nothing, the Small Faces musical uh, tonight. They saw the band in the mid-60s. So, uh, well, I want to report on that one, Noreen. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, so many bands from the late 60s were session musicians, apart from the Archies and Sugar Sugar, says Gary and Annie. I thought actually uh, Sugar Sugar was session musicians as well. The Archies, I'm pretty certain. And the producer's going to see Sunny Afternoon, the Kinks musical this weekend. Can you find out about the Archies? Sugar, sugar. I'm sure that was session musicians. But anyway, we'll, we'll find out. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Still to come, the I'm not budging. I'm not moving for that parking space. Oh, dear. What a pair of stubborn so-and-sos. Uh, so the Archies, sugar, sugar, they were, they were a cartoon show on the television. And, in fact, the, uh, this show came out, I think, in about uh, 1968. It was an Archie comic book which came out in, uh, I think, 1941. And so they then turned it into a series. There were 17 in the episodes. That's all there were. And it revolved around Archie and his teenage pals from Riverdale High School. They were cartoon characters. The, the single, Sugar Sugar, was sung by session musicians. And the people who actually featured in it, uh, their voices were completely different. So they didn't sing on anything because they were just cartoon characters. They sort of created it. And it was the session musicians that actually created Sugar Sugar. Uh, which had a, which was rather bizarre actually, because they did appear as a bubblegum pop band. That's what they called it, bubblegum, in those days. And um, with Archie, Archie Andrews, who was the fictional cartoon character, playing lead guitar, and so they then had a real life hit with Sugar Sugar, 
written by uh, Jeff Barry and Andy Kim. There was a laugh track. This was interesting about the Archie show, because the laugh track, it was the first Saturday morning cartoon to actually have one. Up until then, they hadn't had a laugh track. Nobody quite knew what it was. They do it on certain shows now on the television. It's where they always say to you at the beginning of every show you ever go and see, they go, OK, remember the camera could be on you. So if you're sitting next to somebody you shouldn't be, move now. OK, can we see you clapping, wildly clapping? And then they record it and put it in just in case the show's a total unmitigated disaster. Always very interesting. Uh, the character of Rhoda, says Ken, appeared in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary Tyler Moore played Dick Van Dyke's wife in the Dick Van Dyke show in the 1960s. And he's 90. He's 90. There was a picture of Dick Van Dyke the other day uh, outside Disney. They were celebrating something. And he's 90. He's 90. <laughs> Just absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, you were talking about stars and their ages. Do you know that Kirk Douglas will be 100 years old just before Christmas, says Lee. Are you serious? 100? Good Lord. There's obviously hope for everybody, isn't there? We're obviously living longer. Not if you get stressed up and you have a bit of a parking argy-bargy. And here is the case of motorists caught up uh, in an extraordinary hour-long parking standoff. You'll know the scenario. Somebody finds parking space. They stand in it, waiting for their other half to drive the car round to park in it. In the meanwhile, another man... Um, comes in and he wants to park next to his flat. He's a BMW. Uh, This woman is standing in this parking space. She's quite clearly a bit stupid. You can't just reserve parking spaces. So, anyway, there was a 20-minute argument. In the meanwhile, the woman ordered her uncle to drive down the pavement and try and get the car in that way. So the uncle moves his Vauxhall half into the space... And then the police arrived. And this woman, the stupidest woman you've ever seen, you cannot stand in a space and reserve it. It's like people saying, well, I want to park outside my house. I'm going to do this. Anyway, this, this particular woman was screaming. Every, oh, it was quite vile. Quite vile. The row was sparked by this woman trying to save the parking spot. Father of three, uh, Kair Mohammed Gerat, arrived and found the young woman holding the space when he tried to park his BMW outside his apartment. She told Mr Gerat... She was saving it for her uncle and refused to move so he could park. After a blazing row, she apparently ordered her uncle to back up and drive on the pavement. Mr Gerat's teenage son says, My dad was telling the woman to move, please. Uh, He was saying, you can't save the parking space for anyone. It's ever is here first. And she's quite clearly a ridiculously stupid woman. She should be named and shamed, I'm afraid. But anyway, the, the police arrive and there's some bloke in his flat. And he's taking pictures of this, watching this stupid woman standing there saying, I'm saving this. You can't stand there and save spaces. You really can't. It's whoever gets there first. You know, run them over if necessary. Anyway, somebody said she got really irate at the thought she might not get the space. I mean, uh, if the police hadn't arrived, there would have been a fight because she looks like one of those sort of people. Anyway, after they forced both the BMW, this is the police, and the hatchback driver to move the car, briefly leaving the space free, within moments a white saloon car had had pulled in and claimed the disputed bay. Stupid woman. Stupid. Standing in a bay. Get out the bay. Get out the bay. No, I'm saving it for my uncle. Get out the bay. I'm going to run you over. Oh, dear, honestly. Just goes to prove how desperate people are for parking spaces. Where is this? I'm trying to find out where it is, actually. This is... uh, Oh, this is in uh, Blackwall Way Poplar in East London. (laughs) Obviously, spaces are so desperate, people are prepared to stand there and argue the toss. 
Anyway, I think the bigger car won. She made a complete fool of herself. And uh, police officers, again, having their time wasted by idiotic, stupid adults. I mean, really. The bloke wants to park his car. He's seen the space. Just because somebody's standing in it, I couldn't care less. I'd have done exactly the same. I'd have done exactly the same. I'd have sort of parked up, you know, pushed around the way gradually. But, you know, as long as you've got it all on camera, it's fine. Uh, the pictures of the carnage. This is relaxing before the carnage. The heartbreaking photos of the troops on the eve of the Somme a hundred years ago, which is tomorrow, which is going to be the first. So you'll have lots of pictures and you'll hear lots on LBC. I think Nick Ferrari's done a, done a special programme. But what they've done is they've got pictures of the boys here and uh, those that they know about, they've, they've put a caption above them, either killed or wounded uh, or unknown. So there's quite a few unknowns here, which is a, one of them survived, wounded, survived, killed, killed, because nearly 20,000 uh, on day one, half a million in total over the four and a half months. It's just a phenomenal waste, a phenomenal, dreadful waste of human life, whichever way you look at it. And a lot of them just very, very young men. Showbiz holds no interest for me. Who is that? Who is that? Yes, Paul Simon. He's going to retire at the age of 74. He said that this uh, tour that he's doing now is going to be the last. He says, I've seen fame turn into poison. Um, he just wants to go and quit music and travel with his musician wife, uh, Edie Brick Brickle. And so it's nice. I mean, when you I mean, if you've ever got the uh, the documentary and the DVD of them performing Simon and Garfunkel because they fell out famously. And I think they just came back together again. And, and I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's, you know, the fact that they'd grown up together and they made so many iconic songs. But when you hear the opening riff for Bridge Over Troubled Water, I think you have to agree that it really is one of those very, very special songs. And to hear them singing it is fantastic. But at the age of 74, he's had enough. He's decided it doesn't, it doesn't hold any interest for him anymore. He was never into showbiz. He was just a singer. They were just sort of like folk singers. There were loads of folk singers around. Some made it through, some disappeared, and some are still performing today. Somebody who is going to be performing today is the daughter of a multimillionaire scrapyard owner. She's set to inherit her father's £12 million fortune after a fierce court battle that left her brother with a 90-year-old lorry. That's, that's all he ended up with. And this is the... Um, this is the arguing that people have over wills. And somebody leaves money and then somebody goes, well, I want more than that. Well, I've left it all to this person. And they go, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to court. And so they go and embarrass themselves in court. In this particular case, Fred McGuinness left everything he owned to his wife, Edith, when he died in 1987. But after she died in 2013, a bitter dispute erupted between uh, the dealer's eldest son, David, who is 70, and daughter, Denise, who's 54, over who was entitled to their father's land. And so, because they can't agree, they decide that they have to go to court. David claimed that he and his brothers, Freddie and Kevin, were promised shares in the scrapyard for their years of service working for the family business. But the judge has now ruled that Denise is the rightful owner of the 11-acre site, leaving David with just a classic 1920s Morris lorry valued at about 10 grand. David claimed it had always been his father's wish that the yard should be split equally between his four children. But when Mrs McGuinness died, she left everything to Denise, apart from a small gift of charity. In a letter she wrote, Mrs McGuinness said she felt she and Denise had been excluded from the business and mistreated. Mr McGuinness was a former rag and bone man. Remember those from years ago? Rag and bone! Rag and bone! You used to hear that. I never knew what they were saying. I assumed it was rag and bone, but speeded up. Rag and bone! And they go down the street, and uh, in the film Melody... 
they have a rag and bone man coming round and he's collecting rags. He's looking for old clothes and things like that. And depending on how many clothes you gave the rag and bone man, he would give you a, a present. And the present was either a windmill, paper windmill, which you held on a stick, which, you know, let's face it, kids were fairly happy with that or a piece of chalk. Uh, or failing that, if you, if you gave him a load of stuff, a goldfish in a jar. A goldfish in a jar. Wow. Rang a bone. So anyway, in the letter which was included, she said they'd been excluded. Uh, he was a rag and bone man. Rang. It's all right, OK. And, uh, and he was working as a miner. He branched out into car braking, made millions from the scrap metal business. And uh, the company had an annual turnover of 6.6 million. He used to take his daughter to school in a Rolls Royce. How come he only left 12 million then? <laughs> Turning over 6.6 million a year. But anyway, there's an idea and all there. And, um... The wife's estate was valued at probate at more than three million after tax, and the court heard a twelve million pound offer had been received for the yard. So that's it. So laying claim to a stake in the yard, David said his father had promised to give it. See, the child's promising is no good. Promising is no good. It's got to be concrete. It's got to be written down. It's got to be there so that people know about it. If, if it's not written down, you can stand there whistling in the wind, saying, "Well, they did say that they were going to leave it all to me." I had a friend of mine who who, who died uh, some time ago, and years ago he said to me, "So I'm going to leave you." Uh, loads of stuff in my will. And I just went, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any difference to me. I couldn't care less about things like that. But in this particular case, they went to court. And uh, so ruling against him, uh, Mr Justice Newry said, Mr McGuinness had never given a cast-iron promise that his yard would be divided between the children. Uh, David also made a claim for a £2,000 grandfather clock, which was denied, but the judge ruled that the Morris lorry was rightfully his. It's not going to be a happy bunny, is he, today? I shouldn't think so. So she's going to get £12 million for the yard because the land's obviously worth an awful lot to somebody. And uh, he gets a lorry. Oh, God, that's when families fall out big time, isn't it? That's when it all goes, you know, into a, into a dreadful, horrible mess. And we all go, thank God we're not involved with that. That, that would be your absolute nightmare, wouldn't it? Tony Burrows came up the other day. Yes, yes, we've talked about Tony Burrows on this programme before. He was... Uh, he, 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 Picked up, I think, three gongs at Top of the Pops. He appeared in three different groups on the same episode of Top of the Pops because he was the the singer. Uh, did Jonathan King not record Sugar Sugar? Uh, no, he did. Everyone's gone to the moon. What did he have? Johnny Reggae. Did he record Sugar Sugar? No, he can't have recorded Sugar Sugar. It was a, an American thing, unless there was a different group that actually recorded it, Kim. So I don't know. Uh, Steve, I saw a lovely show this week called Let It Be. Uh, the songs of the Beatles. Oh, you won't find a bigger Beatles fan than me. Uh, Nancy Walker was great as Mum Ida, but I can't remember who played Sister Brenda in Rhoda or Carlton the Doorman. Oh, and Jenny says, I remember Rhoda. Rhoda? Was it Rona? Yeah, Rhoda. Uh, so great to hear you talking about her in the programme. My parents used to watch it and loved it in the 70s. Where can you get copies? Uh, I would try Amazon. I would try Amazon. Type in... Rhoda, and I should imagine you, you will probably find something on there. You can buy all these things. And if you haven't got a, a machine, a DVD player that plays Region 2 or whatever it is, Region 1 or something, then you, you can buy those really cheaply. I think I paid about 40 quid for mine. So I can play all the American DVDs, because otherwise it'll just it'll blank it completely. Uh, 84850, steve at Charlotte, thank you. And Adrian reckons he's Carlton the doorman. I like the way that you remember these, these programmes, because I'm, I'm quite in favour of that. It's a way of staving off, believe it or not, um, uh, dementia. And they, they discovered that in old people's homes, if they... And in one, you remember, I talked about on the show ages ago, they built a row of shops 
in the old people's home and they put things in the shops that would jog people's memory, like newspapers and certain things so that people will see it and then associate with it. And the more you talk about things, the better the brain will keep active because I don't want to get to that stage where I sit here like I do sometimes. Luckily, I've got you and you can always help in between you and the producer. We eventually get an answer. But some people don't have that option. They, they, can't, uh, they can't fathom it out. So in this old people's home, they put in the row of shops and they say it's, it's changed people's lives. So that's good news, isn't it? 14 minutes to six. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. And of course, my, my friend Bill Overton uh, pointed out that Julie Kavner, who plays Marge Simpson, is Rhoda's sister, Valerie Harper's character's younger sister, Brenda, in the sister Rhoda. She got a, an Emmy Award for that, for Outstanding Supporting Actress. She's still going. Uh, she's 65 now. She's Julie... Oh, sorry. Uh, she's Julie Deborah Kavner, uh, born uh, Los Angeles, California, actress. And they call them in America... It's very, they call them voice actress. I had this the other day with a guy who came in, and he was... In fact, I think it was Ray, Ray Liotta, who... They, they, they put them down as voice actor, which means that they do, they do voiceovers and stuff like that. But she's also done... I think she's done seven films. Julie's played in seven films written by Woody Allen and also in the Adam Sandler comedy, Click, as well. So um, her, her first leading role in a feature film, I think, was This Is My Life. This is my, that was her first thing. But still going today, so you're quite right. Absolutely right, Bill. As per usual, he came in a bit late on that one, but it doesn't matter. Chris in Rygate says, In the 50s, when I was a kid in Vauxhall, the rag and bone man used to shout out, Any old lumber? Any old lumber. <laughs> they used to take anything, though, didn't they? Absolutely anything. I don't think people ever worried about what it was, but it was clothes. Go and sort of raid your mother's wardrobe or something like that. Uh, Colin says, It's any old iron. No, rag and bone. No, they definitely should do rag and bone. I know that for a fact. And then somebody else complaining bitterly. Jim says, because he actually comes from Glasgow, and he says all we got was a balloon. Well, I mean, even in a balloon in those days, I mean, come on. You know, how many times did you have a balloon? The only time we ever saw a balloon was at Christmas or a birthday. And you'd go to Woolworths and they did a cardboard tube with the balloons in it. And then you'd pull the tube apart and it had a little nozzle at the top. And you put your balloon over the top of it and then... <laughs> Like that. And then there'd be a huge bang. The cat would throw itself through the window and your mother would drop down in a faint. <laughs> I used to hate it when people were blowing up balloons. And the thing we used to do when we had long hair, <laughs> happy days, and you get a balloon and you rub it and you hold it against your hair and your hair would be attracted to it because of the electricity. How fun was that? And did you do it where you rubbed it up and down on your shirt and stuck it to the wall? You'd stick balloons and then you then you'd get a long balloon and two round balloons and make rude shapes on the wall just to annoy your mother. Come and go, what are you doing? Going, just making a shape on the wall. You know, things like that. But, uh, yeah, we used to be... I'd be quite happy with balloons. Now they do them on these... They, they bring in... You can buy a thing in Costco. Other shops are available, I should imagine, for them. And they, they, you get a, a box of balloons and you get the gas cylinder to blow them up as well. But I used to get, no, no, let's stop, stop, stop. And I could never blow the long balloons up. I'd sit there for... <sighs> ridiculous, honestly. And, no, I never did the heat. Well, occasionally we did the helium thing. Yeah, doing make, making your voice go all funny. Hello, everybody. You do that sort of thing. It sounds a bit like Punch and Judy, doesn't it? Rang a bone! It's the kind of stuff we love, actually. I sometimes wonder where this programme's going, actually. Straight to hell, by the sound of it, this morning. <laughs> really, we're all over the place, aren't we? I was, I was hoping to tell you about, you know, the, the carry-on. Why men prefer double entendres. Men like double entendres. But I thought it was women that like double entendres because they were talking about the baking show the other day with um, 
with uh, Mel and what's-her-face, and uh, Mel and Sue, and theirs is double entendre all the way through it. I mean, blatantly, I don't know how the BBC have allowed them to get away with that. Do you know that nobody has ever been prosecuted for smoking in a car with children? Can you believe that? Can you believe that, that nobody has ever been prosecuted for that at all? Oh, it's Emma Bunton. Who's that? Who's wearing the... the uh, I'm trying to recognise some of the people. Kate, Kate Moss, who's in it. She gets killed, doesn't she? Or that she's being killed off or something. They look very good. Jennifer Saunders looks great. Patsy looks wonderful. I mean, seriously, she does. She's just, she's just so good. Really, I can't believe her. She claims it's all just a pot of cold cream. Well, I'm subscribing to that one, but I, th- I think they're... Br- I can't wait to see the film. Don't spoil it for me and tell me what happens, all right? Like Kate Moss gets killed. Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know anything about spoilers in the film or that Ryland's only got a very small part, but I'd heard that before. And, you know, I don't know anything about it. I really don't. Uh, what else we got? Uh, we've got here Gulls in the City. That's uh, seagulls, incidentally, who have uh, favourite fast food joints. Apparently, they've adapted to city life and uh, there are certain places that they head for. Uh, They have actually fed chicken breasts because there's so much junk food, isn't there? Whenever you go through the streets in the early hours of the morning, there's rubbish food everywhere. It really is quite ghastly, quite ghastly. Um, what else? Oh, we're celebrating a birthday today. Oh, it's old Cheryl Spagball's birthday today. She's 150. Oh, no, she's only 33. I thought she was 33 before, wasn't she? What is, she? is she knocking years off now? Anyway, old woman going out with little toy boy, who's only 22. James Martin, Yorkshire-born uh, chef, very posh house, uh, is 44 today. And Michael Phelps, the American swimmer, nicknamed the Baltimore Bullet, the most decorated Olympian of all time with 22 medals. Um, he's 31. He'd, he's He's got double-jointed ankles, which can bend 15 degrees more than most people, to act like flippers. Sounds a bit creepy. I don't like people who can do that. It's like people who can pull their thumb back and so it can touch their wrist. Ooh, double-jointed. We used to have a couple of kids in, in school who were double-jointed and they would take great delight in bending their hand backwards. I used to feel quite ill, actually. Uh, James says, I'm always there for the spikes, Steve, but I think you've upset my dog. He now seems to go into the other room when it comes around to the programme. Well, probably something in there. Uh, Jean in Hillingdon is 80 today, says John. Good Lord, 80. See, that's a good age, isn't it? Hope you take him round presents for her. Oh, there's Callie Minogue on the television again with that peculiar man who looks like he's a reject from the village people. He's, he's a bit strange, isn't he? I don't like men with those sort of beards. Yeah, it's the way he's staring at her. It's because he has to look down on her because he's so tall. And uh, Carol says, in America, champagne and orange juice is called a mimosa. A mimosa. No, don't make it sound posh. A mimosa. Served at breakfast. Well, there you go. I should imagine, actually, probably uh, Jean in Hillington will be celebrating with the, with that this morning. Um, another one here. Uh, I was watching the Joanna Lumley interview. Uh, I love Sapphire and Steel. Yes. I mean, she's done so much, actually. She's, you'll find her on the, on the LBC archives. I think we've actually done her uh, a few things. It was Michael Nesmith's mum, Betty, who invented the solution that became liquid paper. Was it? I th- oh, right, whatever it was. Anyway, it meant that he didn't have to appear in a, in a group miming. Uh, Dorothy listens every morning, which is great. Uh, Rhoda had, hello, this is Carlton, your doorman. She also had a little Jewish mother who had plastic covering the furniture. Well, that's exactly like Ruby Wax. Remember she did a documentary on her parents, and her parents had plastic coverings on the, on the settee. I've never heard of that before. It's a very odd thing, isn't it, really? Uh, Sally says, we've got fog at the moment in Worcestershire. But don't you think sometimes fog can be really attractive? Not if you're driving, but generally speaking, fog can be quite quite nice. Especially when you see it low-lying fog when it rolls over the fields. I think that's actually quite nice. 
I don't, as I say, I don't want to drive in it at all. Not my sort of, not my sort of thing at all. Uh, what else do we have in the paper today? Trying to find some more stories about the, uh, uh, about sort of life as we... Come on, it's just pages and pages of adverts now. How to buy a retro briefcase turntable. Why would you want to? And can a DIY manicure last as long as salon nails? I'm debating, I'm debating whether I go to one of these nail places to have a pedicure. Uh, there's a picture of a grandmother here who can do the splits at 71. And this woman says, look, anybody can do it. Shan't be trying that one any time soon, I don't think. Uh, and um, it can be very lonely being uh, a middle-class single mother. It's a typical piece for the uh, for the Daily Mail. Can you really hire a classy dress online? The answer is probably not, really. Uh, one of them, uh, nice. Uh, they, they, they've got the, these dresses and where, the, where they got them from. One was gorgeous. One was not the frock I ordered. One was badly in need of a steam. One was stained and horribly out of shape. Uh, and one was perfect fit and a steel at thirty four ninety nine. A lot of people like to borrow dresses now, don't they? If you're going off to an event, no point in shelling out for something when you can actually borrow a dress and look just as classy. I think that's, that's the best way, isn't it? Uh, still to come, I'm going to tell you about the high street shops where it's always sale time. We love that, don't we? It used to be um, MFI. They always had a sale on, but of course you used to think, well, I don't remember that being on sale here. And the trick was that it didn't have to be on sale there. And so it used to be their, their store in the Outer Hebrides, for example, which had these things. So that didn't do any business because it had things at vastly inflated prices. And so they could say, it's on sale at one of our branches at this price. Which, as I say, nobody really bought into, did they? And so that, that went, uh, went down the swanee. Lottery lovers were last night wondering if the Queen has bagged a bit of a win uh, because Buckingham Palace... Postcode has been picked out, which is SW1A1AA. SW1A1AA. That's her address for the Royal Postcode. And uh, on the website, user Janet says, Come on, ma'am, comment and confirm. I think we'll comment. We've, we've won 10,000. What would they do with it? That's assuming, of course, they actually bought a ticket. I mean, I'm not sure, actually, whether anybody inside Buckingham Palace would actually confess to buying a, a ticket. Oh, here she is again! Oh, that's lovely. Jennifer Bate, again. There'll be an offer of, uh, would you like to go into I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here? Because she's the girlfriend of a loser. Uh, that was Marcus. But she's very pretty. She's blonde today. And uh, dentist with nice teeth. And she knows exactly what to do with the camera. Woo! Woo! Get a picture of me now. Get a bit. Woo! Get a bit. Take the picture. Woo! That's what they do. They do about three or four times, just in case anybody, uh, anybody misses out on it. For heaven's sake, Go! That's what they're saying to Mr Corbyn. He's not, um, he's not taking a blind bit of notice. And I don't know whether or not this is going to do serious damage to the Labour Party or whether or not they're all heading in the wrong direction, I'm afraid. So, Jeremy Corbyn, no, I'm not going to uh, you know, disappoint the fans and all the rest of it. Uh, irrespective of his, his government, want him to go. 180 of them, isn't it, or something now? It's certainly gone, gone ballistic. And people just, you know, people just want him out. But he's not going. He's not going. Even though he might not be brilliant at it, he's decided to stick it out. But I've seen that happen before, actually. Uh, Angry Three Lions supporters have launched two petitions to call on the government to make David Beckham the next England manager. Is it something the government decide then now? The government? Who are these stupid people writing on the internet to say, come on, government, can you... What government? We don't have a prime minister at the moment. The FA choose them, I thought. I thought that's how it worked. But anyway, Beckham's far too... I mean, he doesn't want to do something like that. It's a full-time job. He, he, he wants to do his underpants and his whiskey and sort of faffing around picking up a pizza. Because we did come to the conclusion that we don't think anybody in that family can cook for toffee. I don't think Victoria Beckham has ever stood in the kitchen and turned on the oven or gone... What, what temperature? Three, 360. 360? Oh. 
What what does that start with? You know, I just can't see her. I can't see her standing there. I really can't in the kitchen. It's easy to get takeout. Prince Harry, loads of pictures of him standing on stage with Coldplay because he's like, you know, man of the people. OK, you are. Not really. Uh, Labour's Brexit crisis, and it really is. Uh, the car in front's being recalled. I think because it's a Toyota. I think they've called in God knows how many. Uh, the high street shops where it's always sale time. And my friend John, who says he bought one of those IKEA cabinets that falls over. And he said, it's right. It does fall over, but they've not been recalled here. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Four minutes past six. It's Thursday, the 30th of June. Uh, relaxing before the carnage. The photos taken before the boys went over the top at the Somme. We'll be talking about that tomorrow on LBC. Labour's Brexit crisis. He's not going. He said he's not going. Whether or not he changes his mind in the next few days remains to be seen. That's Jeremy Corbyn. Corrie goes six days a week. Uh, Kevin Ligo is looking after. It said that was one of his first things. He thought that there was mileage in it. So they're going to be doing uh, an extra programme, which is uh, brilliant. Obscene Rahim. Yes, he's been flashing off his wealth, coming back having lost. It's all a little bit disappointing. And um, and let's not talk about Daniela Westbrook, shall we? An embarrassment of the worst kind, I'm afraid. Poor soul. And Eric Bristow, for 250 quid for appearing on, you know, a sporting programme. I don't think so. I go out for more than that. As I said before, it's £250. You know, people would probably love it. But the time he's probably paid his agent, though, and he's paid a percentage, it's probably not going to get very much. And Murdoch's thinking of buying Sky. That's what he's thinking of at the uh, the moment. Uh, good time to get mortgages. Very good time. Banks are very keen. And uh, Judy Murray hands out coffee. But uh, it looks like she's a paid sponsor. How she's allowed to uh, to go round there and shamelessly promote things she's being paid to promote, I've got no idea. Giving out free coffee. But it's uh, it was a blatant plug, I'm afraid. And uh, beating. It's what you do when you go drunk. It's a horrific story of two ghastly people who beat up a lady who'd been out in bars looking for her son. They beat her up quite badly and all they got was a community order. I'd have had him in prison ten years. They sent somebody to prison for six months the other day. The one who did the Shake the Tree and all the rest of it, that um, that song. And uh, he'd been, because he'd fiddled some benefits for 25,000. We've got people who fiddle, fiddle benefits for hundreds of thousands. They don't seem to send them to prison. They seem to have a different sort of system at the moment. Uh, following on uh, from the woman saving the parking space. Great story. Great story, actually. As I say, I mean, she was standing there saving it for her uncle. And, uh, and somebody drove in and get out of the space. You can't reserve spaces. I'm reserving a space. Get out of the space. People who don't understand English, really ridiculous. Honestly, get out of the space. And so then she instructed her uncle to drive over the pavement. An offence, as far as I'm concerned, immediately. Not allowed to drive on the pavement. Why the police didn't issue him with a, with a, a fixed penalty, I've got no idea. But they didn't, for reasons best known to themselves. Uh, people go and place their shopping, Steve, on an empty table, then go and get their food. Oh, well, that's as annoying as years ago, people. You go on holiday and you find that people are up really at the crack of dawn and they're putting towels and books. That's the latest thing, isn't it? Just putting a towel on a sunbed is not enough to save it now. So people add books and a bottle of water and something like that. And practically the kitchen sink. Whereas, in fact, I just take it off and move it elsewhere. I go, well, I don't know. I just came out. It was like this. You can't reserve a sunbed. And that became that big war, didn't it, on holiday? The Brits versus the Germans. The Germans who were up at the crack... The, the Germans were the only people I ever was on holiday with, because they happened to be staying at the same hotel, who would get up before 
we would get up and they would be immaculate. Their clothes would be... Pre- the British got up... Oh, God, I feel awful. You know, baseball cap on backwards. Everything a bit embarrassing. You know, looking... You know, we, just, we need coffee. Coffee. Just need coffee. And then you go out there and they just sit on the sunbeds and then at a certain time they go off and then they seem to emerge at about one in the morning to put the towel back on the sunbed again. Even though there were big signs saying, do not put towels on the sunbeds. You can't reserve a sunbed. So I used to take them off. I had no qualms whatsoever in taking in taking towels and things like that off. Really, I mean, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's just stupid. As stupid as the woman standing in the parking space. Literally, as as stupid. Uh, another one here. Somebody reckoning that uh, I'm going to check it out actually because I'm not sure actually that uh, that Jonathan King uh, recorded Sugar Sugar. I'm I'm really I'll, I'll have to check that out. I'll have to go back onto that one in uh, in a moment just to uh, try and uh, find out if I did. And uh, Sammy and us said, I went into a BHS shop with a closing down sale. Load of old pony. Yes. I have uh, three of the Marm cabinets. None of them have ever fallen over. But then again, I've used the wall bracket kits they come with. And I live in an older house made of brick. And I have concerns, says Dan, if I lived in a new build house, these would just rip out of the plasterboard walls. Well, a friend of mine, John's got one of them. Um, And I said, you should take it back. You should take it back. I can't see them refusing. They've recalled God knows how many of them in America. And I think that they, they should give people their money back here or give them something else. Or failing that, you know, they should fix them to the wall. That's what they say. It's because it's only a thin cabinet. If a child, and they've had a couple of serious mishaps in America, uh, if a child pulls the drawer out, which they do is they're standing up, they pull the drawers out. And the thing just then, of course, all the weight is, is on that drawer and it just topples on top of them. Seriously, it's, it's extremely dangerous. But but oddly, they haven't recalled them in this country. They've only done it in America. Tom in Basingstoke, poor soul. I mean, we, know, we, we commiserate. I'm sorry, where do you live? Basingstoke. That kind of says it all with a, an air of depression, a pall falling over. He says, when we were kids, we used to collect car numbers. Yes, I also collected car numbers, although for the life of me, I can't imagine why. I cannot imagine why we collected car numbers. What would be the point of collecting car numbers. I mean, I, I really do not know. I really don't know. But we did. But that's like people writing down train numbers. Uh, Steve, rant time. Idiot motorcycle riders. Why do they undertake and switch from lane to lane and squeeze between two cars, says Johnny. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of those sort of questions. I've, I've never ridden one. Well, not, not properly. I'm far too scared to do anything like that. Should have a quick look at the weather. Oh, God. Sunny spells. That's the good bit. Here we go. With the odd showers, perhaps locally heavy. Oh, I hope not before I leave the building, please. Mate, wait till later on this afternoon. Do it later on this afternoon. That would be, uh, that would be an awful lot better. That would be an awful lot better. I don't want anything between now and, and going home because it means I'm going to get terribly wet. Uh, for tomorrow, Friday. Friday, start of the weekend. Very exciting. Cloudy at first, rain clearing during the morning. Sunny spells developing with the risk of isolated showers later. Windy, feeling cool. Maximum temperature, 20 degrees. And Saturday through Monday, breezy on Saturday with sunshine, heavy showers, local thunder. We notice we've started getting more local thunder. Some sunshine Sunday before outbreaks of rain later, cloudier and more humid on Monday with the risk of showers. Oh, whoopee-doo again. I know, we're supposed to be having, you know, flaming June. We didn't see much of that, did we? And we're supposed to be seeing a bit of sunshine because tomorrow is going to be the 1st of July. And I would quite like a little bit. Of, I don't want too much sunshine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a not a sunshine person. I would just quite like a little bit of sunshine. Only just a little bit. Uh, also, the papers today, the fears of a clown, Simon Cowell. And uh, they're obviously doing 
Oh, right, they're obviously doing um, uh, some some pre-publicity for Britain's Got Talent, I suppose. I'm assuming... That, oh, no, it's not. It can't be there because Howie Mandel's on. He's slightly odd, isn't he? I agree, but I think that must be America's Got Talent. The beating, it's what you do when drunk, is the most disgusting pair of reprobates I've ever seen. Scarlett Kinsella and Amy Barnes, a pair of nasty little drunks at the best of times. And uh, one of them is a single mother. Big surprise. They battered a woman, and she then boasted it's something you do when you're drunk. She's a benefits claimant, is Amy Barnes. I can't imagine why. Perhaps, some, perhaps she's got sort of no legs or something, and there must be some reason why she can't work. She managed to go out and get drunk and be a convicted thug. She can do that. Amy Barnes and her pal Scarlett Kinsella, 20? God, I thought they were about 60. I had no idea. Very old. Set upon a woman called Elizabeth Hind as she searched bars for her missing son. Uh, Barnes, who is the... Uh, She's only 19. She looks disgustingly old. Disgustingly. She threw Mrs Hind onto the road before battering her and dragging her by her hair. They were binge drinking in Colne in Lancashire. Earlier, Mrs Hind had asked them if they'd seen her son and uh, one of the women replied, he's a smackhead, because they're obviously intelligent, aren't they? Anyway, in a statement to police, Mrs Hind says, I remember being kicked and punched. I was scared. I remember Scarlett was on top of me at one point, punching me in the head. She had hold of my hair... Scarlett told a probation officer it's something you do when you're drunk. The pair admitted assault, causing actual bodily harm, and were handed a 12-month community order. I'd have had them thrown in prison for ten years. Ten years, immediately in prison. You'll learn the error of your ways, and we're taking your benefits away as well. If you've got the energy to start beating people up, you don't deserve to have benefits. There's something the matter with you. It's ridiculous. Now Charlie Girling's picking on me. Ollie, what have I done this morning? I've been good... You know, I've done double prayers and everything else. She says, you really are impossible to please. You hate the sunshine. I hate the sunshine, Charlie. I can't... I don't do sunshine. I don't don't want to get wet. (laughs) I don't do sunshine. What weather would please me? Sitting in a fridge. That would please me. Drinking... Drinking one of those um, drinks which has got the ice in it. Can't remember what they call now. What do they call those drinks with ice in? Coloured ice and it's... uh, Slush puppies. I love slush puppies, but I get that... Um, thing where the top of your mouth feels like it's burning. You go, hey, hate that. Hate that. But uh, kids love slush puppies. And if you go to the markets, they do them in different colours. But I don't do... See, I'll tell you the sort of weather I like, Charlie. Snow. Snow. Whenever I say... Whenever I go into Marks and Spencers, there's a few few ladies in there that I know very well, and they always say, ah, Mr. Allen. <laughs> says one of them, Deirdre. And uh, she says, oh, you must love the weather today. She's Chinese. And, uh, and I always go, no, I hate it. I can't wait for it to rain. She goes, oh, Mr. Allen, you're always saying that. And I think to myself, I don't seem to like any of the weather. Any of the weather we get, I'm not big into. It's odd, isn't it, really? I don't know why sitting there watching it. But, you know, I suppose the only thing I really like watching is snow coming down, but I don't like driving in it. I don't like the heat. can't bear the heat. My eyes get really sore. And also, I don't want to burn the top of my head. It's all right for you girls that can sort of wear dresses that sort of show expanses of flesh, Charlie. But I'm not, I can't do it. I think it must. I think it, I'm blaming everything on diabetes. I'm saying it, it, it's being diabetic that makes me not not do heat. I mean, I'm the palest person I know. I don't think I know anybody as pale as me. I'm sort of like an off-colour milk bottle, <laughs> which is not a not a particularly attractive look. I have to say, I'm envious of people who've sort of got nice colour. Nice. I've got nice skin, but I just don't have any. Oh, apparently elephants are lucky. Oh, it's a bracelet with lucky elephants on it. It's hugely expensive. It's twenty-one pound twenty-five. 
four times, and uh, and then you uh, and then you win, which is lovely. Uh, front page. Oh no, I have to take a break, don't you? I've just realised actually before I hit. Uh, uh, something else today in the papers. I was going to do Prince Harry, but I've decided to uh, to change my mind and go for something even more exciting. Six fifteen. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Twenty minutes, very nearly nineteen minutes past six. Just in case you're uh, rushing out there to catch a train, or if you're lucky enough to have a day off, you might as well stay with LBC. Uh, gone are the days of waiting until January to stock up on the cut price fashion. They used to say, "Oh, <coughs> excuse me, can't wait for the January sales." And you go, but they start on Boxing Day. And they do. I think we should really have Christmas on Boxing Day. There's no point spending all this money only to go out and discover that the item you've just spent a small fortune on has been reduced by 50%. That, that, really? And where? The online sales, Christmas Day. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Why don't we just move Christmas? Can't we have it sort of around April or something like that? Does it have to be in December? Is there any logical reason why we can't move it? We can do anything else, can't we? But some chains are selling only one in three items at full price, research found, while several had promotions on summer collections as early as Easter. I mean, it's interesting. And the vast majority of items at some chains, including Karen Millen and French Connection, were sold below the original label price. Uh, they say that stores are becoming increasingly reliant on discounting and power has shifted into the hands of the consumers. I still can't get, I can't do, can I get a discount for cash? I've got friends who are very good at negotiating discount. I can't do it. Somebody says to me, what, do you always pay retail? I said, yeah. They said, can't, can't you negotiate something? I said, I'm not very good at that, surprisingly. I don't know what, I wouldn't know what to say to somebody. Uh, you know, if, if I'm buying all these items, how much cheaper do I get it? And they go, well, no, there isn't anything. I just accept what they say to me. Whereas I've got friends of mine who literally say, well, you know, you should be offering a discount. You know, I'm looking for 10%, you know, at least on these items. I'm spending, you know, 300, 400 pounds. I want a discount. It's like when you go to Marks and Spencer's. I, mean, I bet there's nobody who could ever negotiate a discount because it's barcoded. So they put it under, it goes, bleep, and up comes the price, 69.99. They're not going to... You're not going to be able to stand there and say, how about 65 quid? Because they're going to go, no, it's 69.99. And you go, well, at some point you're going to be putting it in a sale. Why, why can't you sell it to me at that price? It not make any difference whether you sell it to me now or you sell it to me in sale time. But of course, they won't budge, will they? Uh, Martin Spencer's boss, Steve Rowe, recently promised a move away from fashion fads towards everyday style. We need to listen to more of what the customer says. Well, it'll be a miracle, won't it? Anywhere. Whatever happened to the customer is always right? We don't seem to get that, do we now? It's it's just, it's a shame. It seems to have disappeared. It's actually gone out the window. It's vanished. Nobody does that. Sorry, customer, always right. I don't think so. And uh, Katerina says, thank you for promoting slush puppies and not alcohol. Well, I think you could have a slush puppy and a Prosecco. I think you could definitely have that. I wonder if you could make a slush puppy with Prosecco. I've never thought about it, actually. (laughs) It's something worth thinking about, isn't it? Uh, It's called filtering, apparently, when motorcycles move in between vehicles, says George. It's stated in highway code. Oh, well, there you go. It's got to be violent, isn't it? Uh, Bridget says, I ride a motorbike and we squeeze between cars to not sit in a huge jam of gridlock cars all with one passenger and usually on their mobile phone. Oh, how annoying. Uh, Steve, women tennis players, tattoos at Wimbledon. Awful. Very common. Have they really? Women tennis players with tattoos. Oh, trailer trash. Trailer trash alert. We'll have to tell you these things. You need to know about this stuff. We don't want to go to Wimbledon. It's supposed to be all genteel. And tea and uh, cakes and pizzas and strawberries and cream and a bit of Lanson champagne. You know, that's... that's we have tattoos. Good Lord, what are they letting in now? And these are on the players. Ghastly. 
No, taken out and shot, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, being a motorcycle courier for over 40 years, says Mike, we overtake and undertake to get ahead of usually stationary or very slow traffic. Doing it with faster-moving traffic really is dangerous, and only fools do it. Yes, I do see fools driving, though, as indeed we probably all do, do we not? I'm slightly disturbed about women with tattoos at Wimbledon. I mean, I thought, don't they have sort of some sort of ruling? Sorry, no sort of body piercings on display, OK? We don't want anything like that. Thing. It's Wimbledon. Good Lord above, honestly. What have we descended into? Ridiculous. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Claire says, I collected car numbers in the hope I could help catch a big-time criminal. I read too many comics. Yes, I, I would suspect you probably do. <laughs> I don't know why we did write down, you know, car numbers. I, re- I, I really don't know. I can't think of any logical reason. Did we write next to it what the car was? Eight four eight five O. Yes, something you do when you're drunk, Steve says. Ant the painter, more like something you do when you're a horrible little so and so. Yeah, one of them has has drink problems. I'm amazed actually on benefits you can actually afford to drink. But as I say, seeing as they're not working, I'd have them back working straight away. I'd, I'd be calling him in going, sorry, you're on benefits. You can go out drinking, you can beat somebody up, and you're on benefits. Not anymore, you're not. Get out there, you lazy little so-and-so. I'd stop that immediately. I think I should go for Prime Minister. Don't bother with all these other people. They've all got it wrong. I'm building more jails to put people in, uh, more solitary confinements. I think uh, I think hanging from walls by chains is going to be my preferred method. And for the really nasty people, I think we're going to go back to execution dock by the side of the Thames, where we chain really bad people up, and then we all sit there and wait for the tide to come in, which is how we used to do it. And people would sit there, drink, drink, oh, good one today. There three, triple, three. People do that. Why not bring that back? It's very popular, isn't it? I think we should re-ignite the, the fever pitch in the country at Tower, you know, at Tower Bridge. We can sort of bring back public executions, for goodness sake. Public floggings. Very nice. Public floggings. Steve Allen's Britain, a vision of the future. Let's get rid of all these people who thieve, people who commit horrible crimes against people. I don't care who they are. They're just two drunks. I saw it the other day. Australia has the same problem. Well, they would do. Most of them are criminals anyway. But I mean, you know, because we, I know, because we sent them over there. And, um, and so you've got uh, all the criminals over there. And they had the other day, they had this um, meeting. It's a horse race thing. It's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, seriously, the middle of nowhere, which could be anywhere in Australia. And they, uh, they go out there. And this, this is following the mounted police. They're on horseback. And uh, and they sort of come in, and four of them manage to clear it. Because after, after they've had the horse racing, where it's all sort of jolly hockey sticks and all the rest of it, then it descends into drunks. And they say there's always two or three who spoil it for everybody else. They taunt. Yeah, come on. Think you're hard. And, of course, the horses just sort of back into them, uh, which is fantastic. And the horses won. So, oh, look, here she is. That's the girlfriend on the television again. The camera's on me. The camera's on. Hello. Hello, it's me again. I'm back again. Let me wave. OK, let me show you my beautiful teeth. Mm. I'm the girlfriend of a loser. It's so fun. Uh, 6364 is losing. OK, that's a, not, not figure. He earned about 50 grand, though. It's not bad for losing. I'll go out there and lose for 50 grand. But she knows the camera's on her all the time, doesn't it? Oh, there he is. Look, he just looks like... His world rankings in the 400s. God, all, all the top people. He was 772 when he started. Now he's up into the 400s. Whoa, amazing. Expect not to see him ever again, I shouldn't think so. But as I say, he'll probably be on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, with the girlfriend who's probably going to be endorsing something from Boots the Gemist or something. Uh, Basingstoke, says Tom, was once a nice market town. Oh, stop it, please. Where do you grow up? It's never been a nice market town. I know Basingstoke of old. 
It's a series of roundabouts and concrete buildings. It's horrible. Never been a market town. Ghastly. In your dreams. Uh, Manuel says, I'll vote for you, Steve. Thank you. James in Stevenage says, you've, uh, you've got my vote. Well, there you go, two. So I'm doing roughly about the same as, uh, as Corbyn. So, you know, if he can, you know, I could stand on that, couldn't I? Do you think people would vote? You know, would, would people vote for Steve Allen to be Prime Minister? Definitely more, more prisons. I'd definitely have things done quickly. You know, sorry, I mean, definitely, if, if we're going to be throwing anybody out of the country for, for misdemeanours, and for that I mean serious misdemeanours, then it's done immediately. I'm going to be like Australia. You know, it's a case of you're in here, this plane will now take you out, go away, don't ever come back again. I'm going to tighten up border control, and anybody on, on border control who sort of lets somebody in who shouldn't be in, fired immediately. I'm going to sort this out. Benefits, stopped. Stopped immediately, unless you can prove that you desperately need them. But just because somebody's not worked for a few years and they go out drinking, get drunk, I'm afraid you've lost the right to that immediately. I don't want any of this going on anymore. About time people had a right to live in a nice place. And we think it's a nice place. It's just marred by a, by a few people who aren't very nice. Uh, Steve, I can't stand any sort of weather. It just makes you a true Brit. Yes. Yeah. Chris in Ottershaw says, in Australia, you're never more than six feet from the middle of nowhere. Yes, it's never appealed to... It's, it's quite nice, but they always refer to it as the bush. You know, which I think is quite nice. But, you know, in a way, I've seen it and, you know, I've seen Aborigines and I've tried to... Play. I did make a noise in a didgeridoo once. I actually managed to get some sound out of it. What sort of sound it was, I've got no idea. But uh, I, I managed to do that. But apart from that, there's as many Australians over here as there are over there. So you might as well just wander around Earl's Court. You'll find loads. They're quite pleasant, most of them. You can't... It's very easy to spot them. They're all where... They all, they've all got beards... For some inexplicable reason, I suppose they think it makes them look butch, and most of them uh, appear to own at least three pairs of sandals, and they do spend a lot of time just sort of you know wandering out and down. All right, yeah, all right, mate, yeah, love it over here, love it, love the English climate. <laughs> I love them. I love everybody actually. Yeah, and the, the walkabout bar's closed though, isn't it? Down at uh, Shepherd's Bush. Wonder why that was. Anyway, that's just about it for this morning. It's a shame it's happened a bit too quickly. We didn't get round to uh, the Gillian Tailforth saga of sad old Daniela Westbrook, who might or might not have performed an act on her boyfriend in the back of a of a taxi. It's the kind of stupid thing she'd probably do, but whether it's true or not, I've got no idea. Uh, Murdoch thinking of buying Sky. We could have probably looked at that one a little bit more. Uh, Labour's Brexit crisis. It's all gone horribly pear-shaped, hasn't it, for the Labour Party, who just appear to be in disarray. I don't even think hardened Labour voters know what's going on. Certainly the power at the top doesn't know what's going on at all. Uh, The odds are now slashed on David Beckham being the next England manager. No chance. OK, everybody, we're going to go out and play today, and we want you to win. Win, win, win! Not going to happen, is it? Not going to happen. It's just, it's a nice fantasy. We like it. We like a fantasy. And Elvis's first guitarist dies at the age of 84, but he made no money. About $8,000. Not a great deal. Have a fantastic day. Follow me on Twitter. Free podcasts for you coming up in about 15 minutes' time. You can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are, because you download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet on lbc.co.uk. Then you never miss anything. Leading Britain's conversation at 7. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. But coming up next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.